it's so much fun to see the network start to form. And that's some of the most fun that we've had in the past couple of years we've been doing this is getting to talk to authors, creators, uh, fans uh, across the board. It's the people that we've gotten to meet and talk to that have been the most rewarding thing by far in doing all of this. Hello, everybody, and welcome. You're listening to episode 33 of SFF Addicts, a bi-weekly panel podcast about science fiction and fantasy literature, as well as the occasional jaunt into the wider SFF industry. I'm your host, Adrian M. Gibson, and this week we're looking back on the year that was, sharing our favorite reads of 2022 with Friends Talking Fantasy podcast co-hosts Dylan Marsh and Charles M.C. Simply put, 2022 was a phenomenal year for me as a reader and for sci-fi and fantasy in general. There were a ton of new releases and plenty of incredible books in the TBR backlog to catch up on too. I also had a blast hanging out with Dylan and Charles, joking around and chatting about our top books of the year. Each of us shared our top three reads for a total of nine, so there was a lot of variety between us, and we also slipped in a few honorable mentions toward the end. Enjoy! If you have any feedback about this episode, questions, comments, counters, and the like, or if you'd like to share your top reads of 2022, send me an email at sffaddictspod at gmail.com or hit me up on Twitter at sffaddictspod or at Adrian M. Gibson. All right, now on to the panel. Here we go. All right, welcome everyone to episode 33 of SFF Addicts, where we'll be looking back on this past year, delving into our favorite reads of 2022. And joining me today are the powerhouse podcasting duo of Dylan Marsh and Charles MC, co-hosts of the Friends Talking Fantasy podcast. It's great to be here with you, gentlemen. How are you doing? Doing great. I mean, a little nervous now about living up to (laughs) the powerhouse uh, moniker that you gave us there. I mean, but we're super excited to be here. Yeah, man. Absolutely. We could change Very it. Like, the mediocre podcasting. <laughs> That's more appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we could live up to that standard for sure. <laughs> just setting high expectations, man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just to start off, Dylan and Charles, would you mind letting folks know a little bit more about yourselves? You know, how'd you get into reading sci-fi and fantasy as well as podcasting? So, Dylan, I'll toss it to you first. Oh, yeah. I mean... I got into reading it. You know, I did some reading of like the child fantasy uh, books as a kid. Like I remember Phantom Tollbooth is a big one that I really liked as a kid. And then I I would say, you know, I kind of, I don't know if I moved away from it, but just reading wasn't always the the, like top thing I was focused on for a while. And then I really got back into it when the Game of Thrones show came out and I was like, Oh my God, I really love fantasy. This is really (laughs) cool. So then I, uh, you know, I went straight to those books, but then I was like, I got to start reading some other stuff too. So I got to give a shout out then to our buddy, Robert VS Reddick. We did a read along with on our podcast a little while back because I grabbed the Chathryn Voyage uh, next, which is an awesome quartet, epic fantasy 
Uh, and yeah. I was like, oh, wow, I'm not just a Game of Thrones fan. I'm like a fantasy fan. I, I like all this other stuff. So, yeah, from there, I've just been constantly reading, you know, some sci-fi, but really mostly fantasy. And it's only been bolstered by uh, getting to do it alongside my lifelong friend, Charles. Wow. Well, thanks, Dylan. I'll pick up that <laughs> that segue here. Like, my name's Charles. Nice to meet everybody. Adrian, thanks for having us on. Yeah, Super happy pleasure. to be here and talk some fantasy with you guys. Yeah, I've been an avid reader my whole life, you know, I, I, and science fiction and fantasy have been the two genres I've gravitated towards since the beginning. You know, I remember reading like the Giver by Lois Rowley at the in in school, and then you know I read Del Toro Quest, which is a popular you know young child fantasy series. Harry Potter, you know, at being at all the all the book launches and waiting in line to get your book signed. I actually did get some <laughs> books signed by J.K. back in the day. Waited in a very long line in Huntington, <laughs> where wow. Dylan and I grew up. Uh, to get those signed but uh yeah no and then chasing that ever since like Dylan said Game of Thrones the show was a big moment for us because that's when we were both like you know we've been friends for a long time but we both like this too like that's cool (laughs) and then we both kind of encouraged each other to to read more and then we started talking about it more and more and that was kind of a unique thing to our friendship and it's like you know we're reading these books and we're talking about them and we wish there was just more content out there like that. Why don't we, you know, it's it's the pandemic. We're not going anywhere. Why don't we just, if we're going to have these conversations, why don't we just record them? And thus, <laughs> Friends Talking Fantasy was born. And, and now we're here, which is fantastic. So like, love fantasy and love where, love the journey it's taken us on. Dude, that's beautiful. Dylan, how long have you guys been doing the podcast for? Oh, geez. I mean, I guess we started in like late spring of 2020. Is that right, Charles? Like May yeah. 2020. Yeah. So. It was like peak. It was, you know, it felt like anyway, peak, you know, shutdown 2020 pandemic situation uh, was when we started. And uh, we were doing a lot of weekly uploads. We had to three episodes a week at one point. Then we went on the long hiatus. Uh, but then Dude, a few months bonkers. ago, we came back. So we're back to doing weekly episodes and we're, and we're loving it. Dude, three is insane. It is. It was out of control. <laughs> it, I don't know what we were thinking, but uh, it was fun while it lasted. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Now we're like, okay, we need, we have lives that we need to kind of get back to. So how do we, sure. how do we balance that? Yeah. Properly? Those so. pesky lives always getting in the way of podcasting. Seriously. Oh. All I want to do is podcast. <laughs> well, uh, spending a moment to reflect on the past year in general, you guys mentioned that you you took a hiatus. Um, but how has this year been for you both as readers and as podcasters? You know, taking the time off and then coming back and 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 how is that hiatus good for you guys in terms of in terms of reading and all that kind of stuff? It's a yeah. good question. I can start that, Dylan. If yeah, you go want, for it, Charles. Uh, unless you got. So right before we took the hiatus, we were like we were like we we're saying we're doing three episodes a week. Um, at first, it was just Dylan and I. We had no idea how to record anything, especially virtually, and mix it together into a product. People, we had no idea how to make a podcast, how to upload it, and have it so you can download it on like Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Like mm-hmm. we had no idea. And we went from that to doing three episodes a week, interviewing some of our favorite authors. And the last one we interviewed right before the hiatus was Joe Abercrombie, who was like, Dude, our, that was such an epic interview. It was, thank you. Thank you, thank you Adrian. Yeah, so it was good. a huge, like, 
moment for us. And then it's we were like, we did that interview and it was great. And then we were like, what the heck do we do now? And we both kind of looked at each other and we're like, <laughs> like that was kind of like the moment that's like all we wanted was to talk to him. And so the fact that we got to do that, it was like, what do we do next? And, you know, we had been, we were like, you know, we've been doing this a lot and we had other stuff we wanted to get on with doing. And we were like, well, let's take a break. And because we always said, the first thing is we got to be having fun. And I think at a certain point we were chasing like, uh, Oh, it's like we're putting episodes out. People are talking about it. We're getting attention from authors. We're doing these interviews it's like, and that we were kind of chasing that. And then I think it was good to kind of pump the brakes on that and, and come back to like, what is the fun stuff that we want to do? And like, how do we get back to that? And scaling it back to one episode a week certainly helps. But also those months that we were taking off just to read for, for fun, which was still fantasy, but we weren't like reading a book every week or two weeks and then writing yeah. up a whole kind of in-depth conversation about it we were just reading for fun and and um talking about it and you know playing video games together and stuff stuff that we would normally been like any free time we have we're recording something we got three episodes to put out so um it's been really good and this year in particular has been really good for us you know we took that break and then we came back and we were like oh my god people are going to totally forget who we are but we managed to do some really fun read-alongs with robert vs reddick was the first one we kind of started coming back with we got to interview Sara El Arifi, who may or may not be brought up again later in this episode. We'll have to see. And uh, a few others along the way. Yeah, thank you. And um, no, it's been really good. It's been a really good year for us. And uh, we're you know, just excited to be here. Dylan, I don't know if you want to jump in on that, what your year was like. Yeah, yeah go for it. And you covered a lot of it there. I think the thing that I would emphasize that you already got at is is just that piece of getting back to reading for fun during the hiatus was so huge. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, I was going through all these uh, Sanderson books and things like that. And uh, you know how fun those can be. And I, mm-hmm. I just feel like it helped recapture that passion, that love and why we actually do this and why it's so cool to, to both read and talk about, but also to interact with all you awesome folks in the community. And then, yeah, getting back to it has been great. I mean, we've been so lucky that the community has uh, like embraced us coming back and everyone's been so nice. And uh, it does, uh, we were really worried that uh, everyone forget about us, but it does feel like we're able to pick back up where we left off. And and that's thanks to to you all. So yeah, it's been really great. Are we, are we allowed to curse on yeah. this podcast, oh. Adrian? Is that oh, fuck encouraged? Yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay, good. Yeah, he said fuck yeah. That's <laughs> hell, like, hell yeah. So yeah. I would also say, you know, interviewing Joe Abercrombie was a bit of a mind fuck. I'll say that. And then uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. we needed a little yeah. break to kind of compose <laughs> ourselves. When he was like, Joe Abercrombie is in the Zoom chat and you have to like allow him in and there he is. And you're like, whoa, okay. He's so bopping his definitely. head to that intro song <laughs> yeah. and it's like – yeah, it's, I mean, Adrian, you kind of had a, a platform uh, prior to to doing this, I would say. No, you, no. I mean, you had, no. you had your, your Twitter and your, I feel like you were interacting. No, you don't no, see it that way. Like? I mean, okay, so, so it's like I started at FanFi Addict last year in like late May, early June. Gotcha. And then I started this podcast in August the very beginning of August. Okay. So I had, I had basically like a span of two months where I was kind of like 
ingratiating myself in the community. So Has it like, only been uh, since uh, August? I feel like you've been doing interviews no. and stuff but before that i remember you no, no, chopping no, it up with nick year. eames you're like old yeah. friends it's like ah uh, yeah that nick is because like nick is a buddy from from like over a decade ago and that was an interview that i did just for uh the fanfatic youtube channel um uh, and that was in that was at the beginning of june uh last year that's a great uh, interview but, by the way yeah you guys have bad. such a fun history but no, it hasn't been, it hasn't been that long. And, and it feels really crazy to think like, um, you guys talk about like the SFF community and it's like the writing community, the reading community, these kinds of people are super open and welcoming to all kinds of yeah. new voices. And I feel like podcasting is that new space where people are really engaged because they can listen to someone's voice and kind of develop, um, sort of this, like, it's, it's a strange thing. Like it's a one-sided relationship, but it feels two-sided it feels like um more reciprocative than it actually is which is really cool because it's like i'm just listening to these people and i feel like i have a rapport with them even though i've never met them in my life you know and that's <laughs> right. the cool thing about it it's like you can just like spout shit and talk to really cool authors and talk to other podcasters and and people will you know gravitate towards it if you're doing something that's interesting well said i agree yeah. completely and it's so much fun to see the network start to form of like watching you mm -hmm. talk about nicholas seams and then we can talk to him about you and it's just, it's just like a fun little <laughs> like group and that's some of the most fun that we've had in the past mm -hmm. couple of years we've been doing this is getting to talk to authors creators yeah. uh, fans uh, across the board it, it's the people that we've gotten to meet and talk to that have been the most rewarding thing by far in doing all mm -hmm. of this yeah. And I mean, for me, like this past year was really crazy just to see like, um, the effort that I put into the podcast was directly, you know, evident in, in the people that I was meeting and getting to meet more authors, getting to meet more people in the community, getting to meet more, uh, PR people from different publishers and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's like, you know, meeting. So it's like, I, I did an interview and a playthrough with Jed Hearn of his game his like interactive fiction game siege of trebolane which is super fun and we just kind of we just had a really great time and then he got back to me about like a month and a half after doing that interview and then asked me to come on to wizards wars and words as like an editor and producer nice and that for yeah. me was this really cool thing where it's like my love of reading i feel like this year just really connected in a symbiotic way with everything that i was doing in terms of podcasting because it's like I was reading stuff for fun because the stuff I was reading was the stuff I wanted to read, but it was in preparation for talking with the authors, which also <laughs> just blew my fucking mind. I was yeah. like, yeah, oh shit. I really love Adrian Tchaikovsky's work and I'm going to talk to him. So I'm going to read his new book and I'm just like, I can't, I can't even, you know, you guys like, had some great interviews recently on, on wizards, warriors worlds too. Oh yeah, dude. And, and, and Joe Abercrombie as well. Yeah. It's like, yeah. uh, David Walters from fan fight act, uh, yeah. He he set me up with with Joe and then I connected Joe and Jed and that was really cool because it's like I woke up at like 7 a.m. on a Saturday morning because their recording schedule was bonkers. And <laughs> whoop, there's Joe Abercrombie and they're just shooting the shit. And it's like, all right, bye guys, I'm gonna go eat breakfast and and they're gonna record. And it was like such a a crazy moment. So I felt like this year for me was this really beautiful confluence of like reading and podcasting, which is mm the best possible thing when it comes to doing something like this, right? 
absolutely agree. Yeah. It sounds like you've really been yeah. able to maintain that genuine passion for it. And like, I can feel your, your gratitude for being able to, to do these kind of things. And, uh, that's definitely how yeah, man. I try to come at too. Right. It's like, uh, if you're anything like us, mm-hmm. when you first start out, it was like, we didn't think anyone would listen, let alone that we would ever have the chance <laughs> to interact with our favorite authors. So shouting yeah, into yeah, the void, we used to call it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which it very I mean, that's much what it was. feels like at first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because it's like, oh, yeah, you're just like you're speaking and then you're listening to your own voice. And, you know, at the beginning, I don't know if it was like this for you guys, but it's like I hated the sound of my own voice when I was listening to it on the on the recording. I'm just like, ah, man, I'm so tired of listening to me. You know, why would anyone else want to listen to that? You've got a great voice, Adrian. Have you heard me talk? I mean, it's (laughs) it's awful. I I hate listening to my voice, but it's uh uh, you know, you do get more used to it, I think. And uh, now mm. I, uh, I, I would try to let Charles do more of the quality control anyway. So I don't <laughs> I don't have to hear my nasally <laughs> voice. It's like, I sure love uh, fantasy books. It's like, all right, Dylan, yeah. calm down. I was not doing us any favors in those early days. I, was, I didn't know how to edit sound, like voices at all. And I was just amplifying everything. So every like whistle, <laughs> swallow, everything was like <laughs> maxed up for the first oh. Three months we were doing it. They're still up there too. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to hear oh, what yeah. it sounds like, basically inside my mouth when I swallow, that oh, God. <laughs> I was like, what, swallow like that loud, Charles? <laughs> no one tells me. Yeah, well, it's come a long way for sure. Oh man, no, I know all too well what you're talking about. It's like there's just something interesting about humans and their speaking mannerisms, and I'm like. Wow, every single person that I talk to, I'm just learning something new about them because I'm like, you go like, or swallow too loud or something like that. I'm just like, I'm not going to tell you, but I'll edit it out if I can. (laughs) It's like, wow, I really say I'm a lot or, you know, or like, or, you know, one of those things you kind of catch yourself doing over and over again. Hmm. It's like every author out there is like a valley girl. (laughs) <laughs> like do you like sci-fi and fantasy i know once you don't have the veil of the editor it's like you're just, mm. just unfiltered stuff it's dangerous yeah but that's why it's kind of crazy because it's like we're the editors we're the self-editors <laughs> of our own product it's like shit man if this sounds like crap it's because of me <laughs> we have yeah, no we, shame we just yeah we, we, we do we upload, yeah, exactly. we upload it like one take and charles he does not edit out any ums or likes or anything like that so we'll edit we, out spoil accidental spoilers or cursing that's about it because ftf cursing. is family friendly as fuck <laughs> for some reason <laughs> i mean sff addicts is explicit but i i list it as clean because whatever <laughs> why not the why, bad why not? boy of the sff community <laughs> oh oh shit man that's a good title sorry to yeah. everyone out there yeah adrian the bad boy gibson <laughs> Uh, yes i've been tempted you know i've been tempted to just throw them oh. out there but i'm not as bad as you <laughs> it's not charles, but there is, are, there are, charles is the goodbye of too, the sff of community yeah. Yeah. we co- we compliment each other yeah. exactly yeah. this is why this is a but good I, pairing right now i have some guests who are like super into it though like uh uh ryan cahill 
was just like the moment I told him, it's like you can swear. He just went off, and I was like, I love you, man. You're just amazing. <laughs> MJ Coon too. Like MJ Coon was on uh, ah. in October, and and same thing. She's like, I I said fuck within like the first, I don't know, like three minutes or so, and then she just took that as a no, and she's like, all right, that's off the rails setting from the, there. Set setting the tone, bud. <laughs> Yeah. MJ nice. kept it clean I, on FDF. I never would have known. So it's because she's uh, she's a she's a nice her. she's a nice yeah. one. <laughs> she also might get a shout out later. Uh, maybe, just maybe. All right. Well, and I also got a, a secret to tell you guys after we record. So. Oh, after. Ooh. I thought you were Sorry like, I have a secret listening. to tell you. I was like, okay, it doesn't really count if it's in front of everyone. But you know <laughs> no, what? Yeah, no. you know what? I'm going. I'm going to. I'm going to tease them. Oh yeah. I'm going to tease the we'll shit out know. of you all. Oh yeah! In 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 like a month, you'll know. But I'm oh, gonna tease the shit out of you. You are such a bad boy. He really <laughs> no, <dude>. is. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. Oh, dude. I'm blushing. I'm excited. Oh shit! <laughs> All right, boys. Well, it is time. Let's dive into our favorite reads of the year. So, just so everyone listening and watching understands, we're gonna do a bit of a round robin style. So, one after the other, book by book. Uh, and our choices are going to be a mix of sci-fi, fantasy, maybe some horror, I'm not sure, but also traditional, indie, and self-published. And then each person can rave about uh, one of their favorites. Uh, we'll aim for about four. And if we have some extra time, we'll throw in a few more. Um, but if anyone has read that book or has any commentary after that person's talked about it, you can jump in there with uh, with some of your own thoughts on on that particular read. So I will start off with my first pick. Which is, I brought him up earlier, Mr. Adrian Tchaikovsky. For anyone yeah. watching, I have a copy of Eyes of the Void here, which is a chonky boy. It is so thick. <laughs> this is a doorstopper right here, but it's super beautiful cover and an amazing book in general. Uh, this is the second book in the Final Architecture series. Uh, book one is Shards of Earth, which is excellent, but Eyes of the Void, built on that in so many ways. I'm just like... I, after speaking to Adrian, I was like, I have no idea how you write so fast. You're just like a maniac, but brilliant at the same time. <laughs> but the the fact that he manages to pack so much, um, you know, world building and character development and, you know, fun action scenes and really fun conversations, but also so many things like extremely nerdy tidbits. You know, the fact that he just like, has a few lines or like a single line about like the biology of an alien species. And my mind just churns like crazy after reading that line. It's like, wait, 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 they're like, they're like, they're like clams, but they're like giant clam. What the fuck is going on? And so my mind just goes off and off when I'm reading his books, because the mix of world building and character and, and, you know, things like biology and consciousness and psychology, which are some of his backgrounds academically, they just jump off the page. And for me, it's like, these are really chonky books, you know, like Shards of Earth is 500 plus pages as the void is, you know, nearing 600, but they read so fast because I'm just so engrossed in the world. And the, the thing that really, really caught me about this series is the, the way that Okay, so Shards of Earth, the first book in the series, the cover of it is literally like a planet being ripped apart <laughs> by some giant alien entity. And so that's kind of the setup for this whole series is there's a an alien species called the Architects. And the Architects, what they do is they reshape planets 
you know, to their liking. And it's kind of like a genocidal form of like artistic expression, (laughs) (laughs) if I can put it that way. But for them, it's, it's something that is kind of part of their nature, but obviously for us or for an alien species that's living on a planet, this is destruction. This is apocalypse. And so it's this really epic scale of humans and different alien species coming to grips with the threat of these architects and the fact that they came and then they disappeared. This is not spoilers because this is like literally the, the synopsis and like first uh, chapter of the book. But the way that he builds upon it in terms of um, establishing the main characters and kind of having this crew mentality because I really like a good crew in a book. And he has all these different crew members from different backgrounds with different talents. And it kind of feels like a heist in that way. Mm. Not that there's a heist that goes on, but it kind of has that, that, um, cohesion of this like really cool group and how they like fight with each other, how they agree with each other, how there's, um, you know, like romantic subplots and stuff going on is really, really cool. Mm. Um, but for me, the thing that really sets it apart is his ability to sort of establish mysteries. So there's a ton of mysteries in Shards of Earth. And Eyes of the Void answers a lot of those questions. But then it establishes even more mysteries, <laughs> which I know in the third book, Lords of Uncreation, which is coming out in the spring, he's just going to blow everything out of the water and, you know, just fuck with my mind <laughs> in amazing ways. But yeah, Eyes of the Void, it establishes, you know, this really uh galactic scale of of threat and and stakes and the characters the way that they're embroiled in that is just so much fun so this is an amazing mix of fun action science aliens (laughs) you know crazy like galactic mysteries and spaceships and you know like the best of space opera is essentially what i can what i can say about it and i cannot wait for book three that is like top 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 of my list wow uh yeah i don't know if any of you have read uh shards of earth or at least any adrian tchaikovsky i have not but you know he was on wizards warriors and words like way back right like yeah and probably multiple times since i think like 2000 2021 yeah i think i remember that's where he first ended up on my radar was when they're interviewing him i think toward the beginning of the of the podcast run and i was like this guy like his understanding of the mechanics like world building and just Mm. storytelling and general i was like i gotta check this guy's work out and i see it in the bookstore too i think sometimes i get overwhelmed Mm -hmm. like he has decent amount books right like it's uh he he releases like at least two or three books a year so i'm like yeah i guess my question uh, for you, Adrian, is uh, where do you recommend that folks start uh, with this series or whereabouts? Okay. I've got two angles here. Okay. If you want, if you want more space opera and more, uh, more of like a propellant kind of story, I would say start with Shards of Earth. Okay. If you want something that is more scientific, but still a very engaging story, but just slower paced. I would start with Children of Time. Mm. And then if you want fantasy, he also has his Shadows of the App series and a bunch of fantasy stuff as well. So it's like he comes at it from like so many different angles where he writes fantasy, he writes science fiction, 
he writes hard sci-fi, but he also writes space opera. So I'd say that like three, three entry sleep. points. It's like if you, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Sleep. He has the, he yeah. has these beautiful eyebrows and I was joking with one of my friends from Fanfi Addict. It's like his, his creative power is in those eyebrows, you know? Yeah. Okay. So Every it's like, book he writes, they just get more powerful. They get longer. <laughs> so yeah, fantasy, Shadows of the Apt, uh, hard sci-fi, Children of Time, space opera, uh, shards of earth is my recommendation it's been a while since i've read a good space opera that's kind of the the hook you got in me the other one is like how great is it when an author can pull off a satisfying mystery i feel like that's such mm-hmm. a hard mm-hmm. thing to do but when you pull it off it is like one of the most entertaining things you can experience as a reader i mean action's great and all that but man a mystery yep. where you're like it's like all in front of you and yet it still somehow manages to click together in a, in a way you couldn't predict. Like that's a very impressive thing to do as an author. Hell yeah. 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 Well, Charles, what's your pick? Oh man. Well, I, this is the one, the first one I want to get out here just to make sure it gets out there because of all of the <laughs> books that I have prepared, this I think was the only one that actually came out this year. Um, <laughs> and, and I kind of teased their name a little earlier, so I don't want to, you know, tease the name and then not say their book. And I'm talking about The Final Strife by Sara El Arifi. This is another pretty decently sized fantasy, but I don't have a copy on me. The The publisher actually gave us a, like a digital copy before it came out, which was mm-hmm. super cool. Not a thing that happens to us a lot, that we get an advanced copy of a book. And then beyond that, we get to do an advanced interview of an author. And that's the thing that mm-hmm. like when we talk about what makes this year so special for me particularly and I and doing too in the world of fantasy was the fact that we got to be part of this this like a little piece of this part of this launch of the final strife. I mean, when we met Sara El Arifi, her book was coming out like in two days. She was this was her first book. She was like, I'm so nervous but excited. And like, this is my first book. We'll see how it goes. And we read it and we're like, You're gonna be, <laughs> you'll be fine. You'll yeah. be fine. You'll be like, bad. this book is really good and it's a really strong debut it's just exactly like on the cusp of what i think a lot of fantasy fans are looking for and a lot of what the Mm -hmm. genre is kind of going towards in terms of like prioritizing action and also this interesting like inclusivity and and diverse voices and things like that but brought in and just like this most exciting like adrenaline rushing way and also very thought provoking too. And I will say this, okay, we interviewed her and we released the episode a few days later, her book comes out and it becomes a Sunday times bestseller. Now I'm not saying that, you know, we had any part of that, but if you look at the sequence of events, (laughs) it's like FDF episode comes out, then book becomes bestseller. (laughs) I don't know how that works but you guys to, you know to, to all the authors out there exactly exactly we call it the ftf bump which is also charles's <laughs> signature Ooh. move at the ftf christmas party oh yeah <laughs> that also that also sounds like a very nerdy sex position <laughs> yeah. See, that's on the, it's on the table talking about sex positions on the show Charles. we can finally oh, chop it up about that and bad boy at it again yeah the bad yeah. boy always having to think about sex and violence Dylan, and rock and roll we're getting on the show Ooh. with a bad boy <laughs> i thought but. you'd have known by now with his <laughs> reputation so anyway Seriously. you know the bad boy he loves uh sex drugs and rock and roll and mm. i'll say a drugs do feature that. heavily 
in the final strife, right? That's Instead of rock and roll, it has griots playing exactly. like, sure. rhythmic sure. drums and storytelling. So it, it's sex, drugs, and and griot performances, I guess, mm-hmm. is what you could say that this book has. Nice. Uh, for those of you that don't know, this is a the debut novel. Uh, it's the beginning of a trilogy called the Ending Fire Trilogy. And it's a book with that has its mythology based in like African and Arabian roots in terms of its world mm-hmm. building, which is a very interesting setting. And there's both magic and also this intense like class system. And what's interesting about the class system is that it's based on the color of your blood, but everyone looks the same on the outside. Right. It's not like the rich class has a different outward appearance than the poor class. It's just the color of their blood is different. Of course, the lowest class, they actually cut their hands and tongues off. So they look visibly different. But if you before that, they just would have been the color of their blood, which is a really interesting premise when one of your mm. themes is like class structure and, and racism. Mm-hmm. It's like the roots of that can be like when you all look the same, like what what really is the difference? Like, come on, so your blood's a different color. Like, how would you even know or care about that unless you weren't like, put into this slot in society. And that's kind of the world that this is built on. The main character, Shyla, she's at the very beginning of the book. This is not a spoiler. She is a red blood that was like, like stolen at birth with the goal of like growing up amongst the middle class, which has blue blood. And then like kind of trying to, the final strife, I guess, is like trying to kind of take out the upper class and mm. she's like trained for this her whole life. Like I'm going to take on the upper class and there's this big tournament that happens with all the young adults in the, in the world that they get to compete in this huge epic series of games that it's only the nobility can play. So because she has red blood, she can go in there and play and potentially win a powerful seat in government. And that's how this book takes off. So Change the, the whole system. Exactly. And so of course the that's the goal. Things don't, you know, things get complicated along the way. There's interesting romances. Um, there's some LGBT romances involved there. And it's just like a really challenging book. And Shyla as a character is very challenging as well. She's battling drug abuse and like love triangles and classism and racism. And, mm-hmm. and like, it's, it's as exciting as it is like challenging and thought provoking. And I think that's what made it the Sunday times bestseller is that it's able to do both. And I, and Dylan and I've had this conversation a few times where we, because we read it digitally, it didn't have like page numbers or anything. It was just like a PDF mm-hmm. that kind of kept going. And yeah. when the book finally came out and we saw it was like 600 pages, like we both thought it was 400, you know? <laughs> yeah. So like the fact that yeah. like we could both be fooled by that and we just burned through it, it is as much of a testament as I can give in terms of review. And Sara is just so nice and so talented and, and so smart too. Like super, when she was on the podcast, it's one of our favorite interviews and she was just so generous with her time and her knowledge and her experiences. And she has some really great, fascinating stories about like the people she was able to talk to and the advice she was given along the way. So definitely worth doing more research into her. But yeah, The Final Stripe, she just announced a few weeks ago or a few months ago, I guess now, um, the title of her second book, The Battle Drum. So mm, greatly nice. looking forward to that. And um yeah, it came out this year. So super exciting, cutting edge fantasy here, guys. Man, that sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. Just a quick comment. Like the the blood thing is really interesting because, you know, dealing with classism in that context, it's like 
um, so often in, in situations where there is this sort of like racism and classism, a, like a lot of, it kind of boils down to this idea of like your blood, your blood is like filthy or tainted. Yeah. So yeah. I think, I think it's really interesting that she actually used blood as like a very literal metaphor in that sense of like, yeah, your blood is quite literally lower class, you know, well but said. then obviously that's just the context of the society that it takes place in. Well said. Um, and there's a whole magic system built into that too, that I won't get too yeah. into other than to say that it's like, depending on the blood you have, it affects magical ability too, which is very interesting. It's just like another nice. layer into what you're getting at Adrian. Oh, cool. Dylan, what are your thoughts since you also read the book and you also chatted with her? Yeah, incredible book and wonderful person for sure. This one would have been, Charles and I did a little coordination <laughs> behind the scenes and like his first uh, text was, I was basically knowing he would want to talk about the files <laughs> drive particularly. And I was like, yeah. already typing, I was like, okay, you can have it fine. But I would have included, <laughs> and, he, and his, at the same time, yeah, our text messages crossed. Like, I was like, like dibs two, on final strife. And he's like, okay, you can have it. <laughs> like literally where you're both typing at the same time, because I yeah. just knew yeah. that's where he'd go. Yeah. It's right there among my favorite reads as well. But Charles, so eloquently uh, explains it and what's about and what makes it so great. But yeah, it's the pacing is incredible. That's something that I, I really love is uh, I don't need the slow burn. Usually I'm like, let's, let's just get going. And that's yeah. something that Sarah does extremely well with the final strife. And it, yeah, you know, it goes to show it that Charles and I were completely fooled by the page count, like <laughs> he was saying. And uh, yeah, Charles said uh, it does both, you know, get you a book that can do both. This one, yeah, mm. it's got those kind of capital L literature is what we like to call it, like capital L literature style themes. Uh, and that cast system is really well fleshed out. Um, it's also, yeah got that pacing and just like a fun fantasy story at the same time it's such a hard balance to strike and yeah i'll also say hey, it's really interesting how sarah wrote a character with a substance use disorder like i'm, I'm in psychology so i'm always mm -hmm. uh, I guess I can be a little on edge uh, sometimes when authors start writing about folks with like mental health disorders. And I'm like, okay, let's see. And you can really tell that Sarah <laughs> did her research and it's like, uh, she's really tight to the point of view. So mm. uh, it, it goes really well. Cause there's not always this like awareness on behalf of the main character around the ways in which her substance use might be affecting right. her and those around her, but it's very clearly there in the subtext and uh, it's, it's just done in such a deft way. So uh, yeah, fantastic book. And uh, if, if Charles was near to talk about it, it'd, it'd be on my list. <laughs> Damn. Okay. I got to check this out. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to definitely link to the interview that you guys did, mm -hmm. uh, with her. Um, but I got to read this book, man. That sounds fantastic. It kind of, yeah. it kind of gives me vibes of like, um, Evan winter, mm -hmm. uh, the rage of dragons, which is like, you know, super propellant, but also dealing with some really difficult themes, uh, in a capital L literature kind of way that you, that you mentioned Dylan. So yeah. it's like, that sounds like, uh, you know, a really good, really good read because it's like that combination mm -hmm. of of fast pacing and and really um, deep world building, but also that kind of personal stuff. Because like I'm a character reader, and if a character mm -hmm. is dealing with 
something, not necessarily just substance abuse, Mr. Bad Boy, but um, <laughs> you're like, but you call that substance abuse? <laughs> <laughs> Amateur. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but to have a character that is that is really dealing with something and and struggling along their journey for me always makes things much more satisfying. Oh, and yeah. the main character I, does struggle quite a bit. Yeah, I'll also say definitely check out that interview, not because of us, but because of Sara and how insightful uh, she is to all those listening. And I'll say uh, entirely thanks to her, we sold more books off that interview than anything, any other interview we've done, at least based on people's feedback. Like we, Mm -hmm. so many people were letting us know after like, oh, hey, yeah, I went out and bought this book like right after the interview. And that's because like once you hear Sara talk about it, you're you're really going to want to read it. So, you know, I, uh, yeah, love that interview. Love that interview. Me too. Awesome. And uh, Dylan, what's your first pick? Yeah. So I've got, I'll start with what's probably like, the hip new like probably a lot of people's number one choices for like top book of the year so i'll yeah. i'll be very basic here and go with Babel or the necessity of violence and i always love those titles that are like uh, <laughs> it, i don't know if this is what played out here but i always feel like it's like uh, the title that the publisher wanted or the mm-hmm. title that the author actually wanted. <laughs> so yeah, I was, uh, quick, yeah. quick note. This is, this is by RF Kwong yes. by Rebecca Kwong. Yes. By- uh, but that, I think, I think that's something that they kind of ripped off. Like no offense to anyone who uses it. Like Luke Tarzian, love you buddy. Uh, I think it's kind of a play on Dr. Faustus mm-hmm. uh, and that sort of like, there's a title and then a subtitle that's kind of a little cheeky, but also, yeah. like you say, it's like publisher's choice, author's choice. Or like yeah, I always think the of movie Birdman. Bird yeah. Or <laughs> yeah, the exactly. unexpected Bird virtue Man. of ignorance. I'm like, I love that. Yeah, unexpected yeah. virtue of ignorance. So, yes, we've got Rebecca Kwong. Uh, R.F. Kwong is uh, what she goes by on her fiction writing. But it is, geez, number one New York Times bestseller Blackwell's book of the year, Barnes and Noble named it one of the top 10 books of the year. Uh, that's just like period, not necessarily the fancy genre or SFF, just top 10 book of the year. It's a finalist mm-hmm. right now for 2022 Goodreads Choice Awards for Fantasy. I would not be surprised at all if this ends up taking the Hugo or the World Fantasy Nebula, Award or whatever. Lucas. Nebula, yeah. sure, right? Like this is... Uh, this is just an award season darling of a book, but it's also, like I said, number one New York Times bestseller. So it's kind of that same bit of get you a book that can do both. So mm-hmm. it's uh, it's definitely for folks who have read the Poppy War trilogy by R.F. Kuang, which is another one of our favorite uh, series and more kind of militaristic fantasy uh, and and more grand like grand and epic in its scale. Uh, this does slow things down a lot. Um, it's a it's a different mm-hmm. kind of book. It's this uh, it's this story that follows basically a cohort of characters who are enrolled in a fictionalized Oxford set in the 19th century. And it's uh, mostly a similar world, but the the biggest difference is this idea of silver being able to be used as a part of a magic system based on translation. And I, I won't get too into the weeds with it. I think it's probably 
a spoiler a little bit if I do too, but it's it's really interesting. It's really academic in nature, the book and the magic system. Uh, it's like dark mm-hmm. academia at its finest. So folks who who really like that, they'll they'll feel at home here. Here, the characters are awesome and nuanced, and we really get to just chill out and spend time with them in a way that we don't in the Poppy War trilogy because the, yeah. the plot it just moves super fast which i'm not complaining about but uh, yeah you get more time to just hang out and get to know the characters in a more i guess relaxed setting you know just going to school Mm -hmm. uh it appeals to me a lot because i'm getting my phd right now so the idea of a cohort and uh, spending (laughs) a lot of time together and then working really hard in classes, all Where, kind of stuff. Where's your, where's right? your, where's your magic doing? I know it's <laughs> the worst. It's like, I have to do the same amount of all the studying and the going to classes. I don't even get to do magic. It's like, <laughs> damn it. Yeah. It's a total bummer, but it's awesome how in this book they get to, and it's, it's a really smart magic system. Just like it's very focused on like things that get lost in translation and stuff. And the, those are big themes in this book, which I think the, the book, uh, it's probably uh, like biggest sell point is uh, these big picture themes. Like it, it really gets into uh, an incredibly well-handled ways, colonialism, oppression, racism, the power of language and all of those kind of things are what's going to help make it this uh continued critical darling like i was saying Mm -hmm. um it it can be a bit dense though i do want to give that heads up like there's literally footnotes like all over this thing and it's uh i love that oh yeah i don't mind because i'm used to the academic reading um but yeah you can tell you know that rebecca kwong just uh is letting that cyber you know she's she got a master's from oxford and she mm-hmm. she called this both her uh love letter and her breakup note i don't know with that kind of phrasing but like yeah breakup letter and love letter uh to oxford because she is trying to point out all of these like fundamental issues with the uh, Mm-hmm. Like especially some of these prestigious universities and the system and how colonialism played a huge role uh, in them becoming what they are. Um, and, you know, most most of the characters in the cohort are people who are basically uh, taken from other countries as children mm-hmm. because they demonstrate this talent to be able to uh, use this magic system potentially in some way. And uh, then they're kind of treated in a way where it's like, oh, you should be so grateful. You got taken from your country, you know, India, China, etc., and you're brought to amazing england and uh, Mm -hmm. we provide you with all these things and an education and all that stuff and it's them uh, grappling with some of this guilt that they feel and that comes from like oh but they have provided us with all these things but also uh, they basically took them away from their actual culture and denied them the experience of growing up there so it's just like very complex Mm -hmm. things and handled by someone with uh just masterful talent for writing and also an academic understanding of these things Mm -hmm. that uh you know is beyond anything i could ever comprehend so it's uh, uh yeah very impressive book it does feel in some ways more mature 
than the poppy war or not that yeah. the poppy war was immature, but I do mm-hmm. think that it's, you know, it's totally moving more toward that uh, Capwell literature. And she's the, like the sources she's citing in here are legitimate academic sources. They're not just made up mm-hmm. things in the world. And uh, yeah, she drives home her, uh, her points. Cause it's, uh, this book, I think everything is kind of uh, secondary to the themes and the message. Include like the characters are great, but I do think like she will prioritize the themes uh, above those. Um, so, and she delivers her point extremely well. Um, the uh, I think uh, it's like uh, almost an essay in fiction form, which. Uh, I mean that in a positive way <laughs> when I hear myself say it, it doesn't sound as nice. Yeah. It's like, hopefully, hopefully no one gets turned off by that. But yeah. for me, it sounds really intriguing. It's like, that's, that's one of the reads from this year that I haven't been able to get to, but I have, I have bought it as sort of, I, I do like three or four book hauls uh, throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's in my latest book haul, which I just ordered uh, last week. Um, but the, man it's so crazy so this idea of like the the people being brought over from these different countries yeah uh to england and they ha- and then them sort of developing this crazy sort of um stockholm syndrome right and this guilt of like you know shouldn't we be appreciative of blah 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 but it's like no these people like the ways in which england and and other empires took resources from other countries or like your beloved United States is, uh, has done. <laughs> Who said more? You're rooting for us in the World Cup. I mean, that, that, yeah. that's a one time. You got to go real patriotic, you're, but. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're mediocre United States. Exactly. How these big, how these big empires have like, you know, stolen so much from other countries in terms of resources but also how they stole people as a resource and so it's kind of like these people with the power that they have to translate are essentially like humans as resources you know just for their ability to come over and live a privileged life but it's like we're grooming you to to do something that we want and we need and you're essentially a resource because other than that it's like we would have left you back in your shithole country or something like that right yeah, I think you'll really appreciate this book, Adrian. You're you're definitely tapping oh. into a lot of what's explored in in this novel, and yeah, it is a lot of that. And then while all the like stuffy old white British men academics are telling them how grateful they should be, and uh, yeah, it's not. I'll say you can probably guess which side Quang is coming down on in mm-hmm. in this debate, but she yeah. doesn't straw man. Uh, the other side, I, I think she actually does a good. a good job um, of trying to flesh that out and make those people actually seem like they believe what they do because of their own biases and their own way of being brought mm-hmm. up, but not because they're just, you know, stupid people who are incapable of understanding anything. It's like, no, they're, uh, they're just trapped in their own narratives uh, the same way that most people are. Yeah, oh, I appreciate that nuance, and and Rebecca's super nice. It's like I haven't had the show had her on the show, but we've exchanged emails before, oh. and and yeah, she's just super like super uh, down to earth kind of person. And um, this book, yeah, I love. Even though some people are just like, oh, the Poppy War series is so dark, you know, and it's like you can call it grim dark if you want to, but then again, it's like 
depends what kinds of themes you're willing to read and and you know absorb and sometimes they're not good pills to swallow but it's it still makes for like engaging and thought-provoking uh books to read it's just you know the poppy war was a lot more about military and and uh sort of like rigid social structures and and war and the and the devastation of of violence and things like that but i appreciate that she that she took a mirror to academia in uh in this new book and i'm really excited to read it yeah i think you'll love it all right well i will share my next pick which is Locklands by robert jackson bennett Mm. so this is book three in the founders trilogy uh so the first book is foundry side Second book is Shorefall, and then book three is Locklands. And this book, this book broke me in the best possible way. Um, I mentioned to you guys earlier how a lot of the stuff that I read this year was in preparation for interviews and and podcast guests and stuff like that. And I had the pleasure of chatting with Robert back in uh, back in June, and then had him again on the podcast for a heists and and capers uh, author panel. Uh, back in October. And it is just so fascinating to have this like dichotomy of the author themselves versus the work that they produce. Because in like, you know, virtual person uh, talking to Robert, he is so fucking cheeky. Mm -hmm. But you can see the gears churning in his head of how brilliant he is you know, in terms of the ways in which he views things like history and politics uh, and mythology and religion and all these different topics. But the way that he infuses all of that into the Founders trilogy is absolutely stunning. You know, for the first book, Foundry Side, starts out with this one POV character, uh, Sancha, in a sort of, uh, how would I call it? sort of like a techno-inspired uh, Renaissance Italy. So I will hands down say this is like the best cyberpunk book <laughs> and cyberpunk okay. series I've ever read. And he, you know, he he backed up my my theory, which is that he wanted to write a cyberpunk book and ended up just like writing it into a fantasy world mm. because the approaches that he takes are so rooted in cyberpunk uh cyberpunk sort of foundations but the ways in which he builds that into a fantasy world is just brilliant so it's this kind of renaissance italy inspired world um main character is a thief you know sort of like a street urchin getting by by pickpocketing people and and pulling off uh jobs and heists and that kind of stuff um but she's super approachable you know she's she's a a shit just like (laughs) (laughs) a really you know bitter person but that kind of makes sense for the the context of growing up on the streets but then she develops and really grows on you and it's like if if foundry if you read foundry side and really love it the rest of the series will really appeal to you because you know it establishes so much in that first book in terms of the tone um the pacing the pacing is really uh, good and it's fast when it needs to be and a little bit slowed down when it needs to be as well um but the thing for me that really just captured me is a the world building and b 
the magic system. And so the magic system is called scribing. And this is where the sort of cyberpunk element comes in because it's essentially like hacking objects. So this isn't really a spoiler because it, it plays into the very beginning of Foundry side, but it's like people have the ability, certain people have the ability to, uh, you know, sort of like scribe or write, carve sigils onto different objects and imbue them with a certain uh, command. And so it's like coding, essentially. And so these different objects have different command codes and they combine different codes in more complex ways in order to give something a more complex set of capabilities. So it could be like you scribe wheels or you scribe uh, codes for motion onto wheels and then that causes them to self-propel and carry a carriage or a cart or something like that. Um, and so that magic system is so cool in the way that, in which it plays into the whole world, but also the ways in which it plays into Sancha as a character. Uh, and the way those two things intertwine is just beautiful. And then Shorefall builds on that by bringing in more of the world building and the mythology. Essentially, there's like a, an ancient master race that created scribing, but has long since been lost. And it's kind of playing with the, these ideas of, uh, you know, the power of humans to play God. And so once again, this kind of plays back into cyberpunk themes of creation and, and creating artificial intelligences and, and stuff like that. Uh, but all of it in a fantasy setting, which is really cool. And so that second book, Shorefall, really plays with this idea of mythology and, and history and power. Book three... <laughs> Book three just, you know, took everything established in the first two books in terms of, you know, the characters that were set up in the first book, expanding upon them in book two, and then by book three, really hitting home how these relationships have developed, because there are time jumps between each book. I think between book one and two, there's like a year or two, and then between book two and three, there's an eight-year time jump. And so mm. this kind of allowed Robert Jackson Bennett to uh develop their relationships a bit more behind the scenes but also in a way that feels very uh natural and rooted in the context of what the story needs to tell um and so all of the threads that he's laying out in the first two books hit hard so so hard in book three because wow. it's like the characters you really grow to love them and their relationships uh, Sancha and another character sort of have this um, lesbian relationship, which is really beautiful. But all the characters have this kind of found family vibe. Mm. And that found family really grows on you. So the, by the time book three rolls around, when it comes to uh, heartbreak, when it comes to betrayals, when it comes to really, really difficult decisions on the scale that is so massive because of all the mythology that's built up in book two comes to play in, in book three in this sort of world ending way. And so all of the, the you, you guys were talking about mysteries earlier. <laughs> Holy shit. He establishes mystery after mystery, but he does not let a single thread hang loose. Everything is tied up, but the ways in which he ties it up is so it's, it's just sublime. You know, on one hand, it's really beautiful. And on the other hand, it's really brutal. So it's like, this is the one book this year that made me cry. And uh, I did not expect that coming from such a cheeky dude. I'm like, <laughs> you, 
he has such a such a rich humor but then when he when he you know when he has those moments that hit in this book they're just heart-wrenching and i don't want to spoil anything else because i think everyone who reads locklands after reading the first two books needs to experience that in a way that is wholly uh you know unique to them and unique to their experience with the series but the series ends in such a bittersweet way and i love bittersweet endings cuz i don't like everything to be wrapped up so neatly but i also don't like things to be so uh you know depressing and and unfulfilling uh but he man no it's just beautiful and in in a very cyberpunk way he kind of presents the potential of this sort of like post-human utopia in the end, but all of this wrapped in a fantasy package. And I'm just blown away by what he was able to accomplish with this series. So I wow. cannot recommend it enough. This is like the book that just tore me apart and then put me back together. Wow. <laughs> that is high praise. Yeah. 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 Do you think it could make Charles cry? Because Charles has notoriously never cried from reading in his entire life. Not even from from Dumbledore's death in Harry Potter. No. I don't give a shit. Who's like what? On Goblet of Fire right now, and it's like <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, I ruined Harry Potter for you. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, Snape kills Dumbledore, guys. Sorry. <laughs> but uh, Snape's not what you think. Exactly. Uh, no, no, not not from Dumbledore. No. But, uh, happy. I think, I don't know <laughs> if you read Foundry side and you like it, tell me there's a possibility that you might get a little teary eyed by the time Locklands wraps up. Right. Well, I mean, Charles there's a lot of eye drops after reading the paper menagerie. So I don't think <laughs> <laughs> don't expose me right out completely <laughs> still. It's like, yeah. oh but, um, no, there's a lot of stuff, um, Adrian, that you said that I like, and what you were talking about is sense of humor, which we were always chasing books with, a with, a you know, unique sense of humor when the author's voice can kind of come through in that way. Mm-hmm. The other one you said is like, there's something to be said in the world of like sci-fi fantasy when you can kind of get lost into the minutia of a, of a magic system. Mm-hmm. Uh, something like Mistborn comes to mind where it's complicated, yeah. but that's kind of what makes it good. Cause it's so easy yeah. to write just a magic system or a science fiction world that's complicated and confusing. And you're like, okay, whatever. But when you're writing a, a system that you're like learning as the book goes and mm-hmm. it's intricate and it's developed and it's, and it, brings affects the characters and the world and you're like eager to learn more and when you learn more it only makes it more interesting that's very mm. hard to do and it can be a very rewarding experience it's what you know propelled something like Mistborn to be like one of those staples in, in the genre so with you describing this kind of scientific magic system here in Lockland that's a very appealing thing for me as well yeah the magic system is brilliant mm. because Funny enough, he 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 had to uh, tone some stuff back because his editor was just like, "It's too much. 
Yeah, he's nerding uh, out too in which much. Case, yeah, yeah, he's nerding out so much, but it's so cool because it's like, from anyone who comes from a coding background, I think you'd really love this because of the ways in which problem solving takes place from a plot and a character perspective is directly interlocked with the ways in which this magic system works and the systems of uh, functionality between, you know, carving, scribing something into an object and then the actual sort of like command objectives of, of that, uh, that carving and that, that sigil is so cool to see like, you know, what this object is essentially like thinking in terms of like, my command is to talk. And so it's like repeating ways in which it talks and the ways in which it has to approach talking which is so fun because it gives like it gives objects personality in such a cool, <laughs> mm. cool way. Yeah, it's very interesting. I've never yeah, coded yeah. anything in my life, but I'm still interested. <laughs> no, I think I think you would love it if you like Mistborn. Uh, I think you'd really dig this. Um, Charles, what's your next pick? Okay, well, I'm looking at a stack here, but I think I got to pick the one that you know we had been on hiatus for several months and we planned our comeback was very calculated and we were kind of like building up to it and we were like what's going to be that like defining like we're back guys don't worry kind of mm -hmm. statement and that to me is don't like, forget about us yes that <laughs> is a huge like when I, when I look back at this year one of the biggest things that we did on the show was read this book and one of the things that people who don't listen to our show might not know is that we kind of divide responsibilities between the two of us and we kind of take ownership over different things. I edit the show and Dylan controls our social media. And when one person has total unchecked <laughs> control over a social media account that you both share, it's only natural that some bias kind of leaks through into the into the voice of our social media presence. Hey, hey, hey I'm just going to I'm just going to interrupt for a second. Please do. He he explicitly says tweets by Dylan. <laughs> Thank you, Adrian. That That's doesn't like... stop all of a sudden, you know, you're minding your own business and all of a sudden people <laughs> are telling you like, hey, you should really read this book. And I'm like, oh, that's I'm interesting. so sorry that the fans recommend you books, Charles. I mean... Well, what happened was, <laughs> when, you're, when you're looking away, he starts this whole crusade, this whole movement online that I just was not part of. But for years now, you know, one of Dylan's favorite books that he always kept recommending was the book I'm talking about right now, The Lies of Locke Lamora by Scott Lynch. It's been out for a very long time. And I remember when Dylan was visiting me when I was still living in New Orleans and he was reading this series and he was like, it was really good. You got to check it out. And I was like, OK. Um, so what happened when, yeah, but what happened was I know Fuck I'm trying to channel my because of the, the, the years fans, yeah. that follow. Right. Yeah. So he's recommended it. He's pitched it. You know, we have a segment where we the way we choose what to read is we pitch books to each other and we pick one of each mm. other's books and that's what we read. And he picked it and I, I he pitched it and I famously did not pick it because I knew, nice. look, there's two things. You, you know, when someone recommends something to you so strongly that you're like, I'll 
get around to it. You know, it's almost like they recommended like, it too strongly that you you don't want to read it out of spite. It almost has, like, exactly. It has like the adverse effect yeah. of like I'm going to ignore it even harder now. Imagine like, you're just yeah. a spiteful, hateful person, Adrian. Put yourself yeah. in the shoes I am describing of that kind of a very common. I can, I can, I can psychological <laughs> thing that happens, Dylan. Everyone can relate to this. But then also, I had this hang up. Before we started FTF, I had this hang up where it's like I didn't want to start a fantasy series that wasn't finished. I was like, mm. or wasn't planned to be finished, right? So that prevented me from reading a lot of very popular fantasy. But <laughs> there's a lot of plans. plans to not finish. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I don't know if anyone plans to not finish. Yeah, something. but you know, there's it's like you read Game of Thrones, place. for example, and you you read them all, <laughs> and then by the time the next book comes out, you'll have totally forgotten what you read, and you have to read it over again. So I'm like, well, I'll just wait until the last one's out, and then I'll read yeah. them all, and I won't have to read anything multiple times. And that's just kind of where my head was at. But that's fair. Um, so that kind of, even though I wanted to read this book, it was always on my radar. I never kind of got around to it. And then over the two years we've done the show, like I'm, when I tell you, we've had people, no one ever sends us emails. But when they, the one, the few times they've done, people begging me to read this book. I was like, whoa, really? It's like people really want me to read this? And then people message me all the time. I couldn't say anything without the comments underneath being like, read Buck more, read Buck more. <laughs> Charles doesn't go on Twitter a lot. He has this personal <laughs> account. He just like tweet something and just be like four people telling him to read We would, we would have guests on the show nothing and, to do and they it. would make fun of me for not reading it. Mm. it, it, it multiple guests, mind you, have come on and done that. It, it was like a thing about our show that I wasn't reading this book. So the time, fine, and I had fun not reading it too. It was like, I almost don't want to read it because it's a part of my identity that will become erased once I yeah. read it. But, mm -hmm. you know, we had lots of jokes. They kind of ran their course. And I was like, you know, we've been on break for a while. We're trying to come back. And I think it would be very fun for us to tease and finally read and discuss The Lies of Locke Lamora. And it was a fantastic book. What can I say? It lived up to the hype. It's, you know, we we enjoy cursing on this show and this book takes cursing to a whole new, oh, it's a yeah. beautiful oh, art yeah. in this book. Like some of the best cursing I've ever read in my life. Lies of Locke Lamora. Obviously, Locke Lamora starts this book as an orphan and in the island city of Camor, which is kind of like a Venice Mediterranean vibe around it. And he kind of gets spared from being an orphan destined to live a short life to become like a protege to a con artist. And he kind of learns the like art of thievery and eventually he kind of gets a little too ambitious. And that's, what's fun about this book. It's like the give and take of like, it's surprisingly compassionate as it is cutthroat. It's surprisingly violent as it is funny. And and like the way we run the whole spectrum of emotion and, and character traits and violence, it's a really just fun, exciting series to read. And the dialogue between these guys, like so many times I've read like <laughs> clever or witty or funny dialogue. And I want to like 
puke, but this is really, really good. Like really Ralph fun has stuff. Puked while reading a book, but never cried. Never I cried. I said want to. His not that it's ever happened. Right but even some of like the best selling authors in the world, when their clever character comes out, you roll your eyes a little bit. But this is fantastic. And I don't know if I need to get <laughs> too much a, into this. That's a shot at one author in particular, but we'll he'll remain. It's nameless. a shot at oh, it's, it's a common trap. It's not an easy thing to to pull off. Uh, but that this book excels at every character is like the clever one in in this book and that's what makes it so much Mm. fun i mean it's a national bestseller it's been out for a long time i don't need to hype it up too too much other than if you love rogues if you love just fun action funny dialogue and you haven't read this yet don't be like me and just pick it up you won't regret it and uh, that that's the lies of Locke Lamora by Scott Lynch there is more but this was a really solid standalone I think and mm-hmm. you know the the other books are are popular as well and I know the series has been ongoing for a very very long time and Scott Lynch actually recently shortly after mind you we read this book he started kind tweeting that he was back. getting back into the game and I was like oh wow what a like, fortunate timing is this that our episode mm-hmm. comes out and all of a sudden Scott Lynch is tweeting again so who knows maybe we'll see something in the not too distant future but even just reading this book on its own it, it stands very solid as a as a like a standalone experience and there's more to offer if you if you want to read more so yeah loved it loved it wholeheartedly agree with you mm-hmm. uh one thing, one of the best friendships yes. in fantasy so, yes. between Locke and and John Tannen. One of my favorite things was when people ask, what's the best fantasy duo? I would always say that. Or when talking about the book, I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's John and Locke. Like, I had no idea what I was talking about, but so many people had told me that and recommended it. I feel mm-hmm. like I knew more about this book having never read it than any other book in the world. And that's one <laughs> of the things like, oh, John and Locke. I, I know that. I will yeah. say, so I reread it when we did our discussion there, and the best Locke and Jean moments are later in the series, I do think. They, yeah. Obviously, there yeah. are a bunch of good ones in The Lies of Locke Lamora, but I think Charles left feeling slightly underwhelmed uh, just with everyone yeah. telling, with just that relationship, with everyone telling him, and I think rightfully so, that those are one of, if not the best, like, duo or friendships and yeah. I could tell it was only because, getting started. In yeah, this one, it yeah. is only getting started. So, but it is, it is the curse of hype as well. Yeah. Yes. The oh, curse yeah. of hype. I think if it weren't for the hype, he still would have been like, Oh wow, these are a great like duo. But I think, yeah, when mm-hmm. everyone's telling you, you haven't read this and they're like, this is the best duo ever. You're like, uh, we'll see. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> like Royce and Adrian and Locke and Jean. Like those are like the two <laughs> duos that get tossed around all the time. Yeah. You know, you know who actually recommended this book to me? Uh, this was way back in the day, but when Nicholas Eames and I were working at a restaurant together, I saw him reading The Lies of Locke Lamora. <laughs> wow. And he, re- he recommended it to me. Funny back and, you know, I, I respect him more than you respect Dylan, so I read it for <laughs> Oh, <quick>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not even close. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I, I bet it would be something Eames would love. He's got such a, like, unique sense of humor about him, too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not a, also a guy who's not afraid to swear. I see some. He's a bad influence oh, yeah. on you, Adrian. You got to look out for that Nicholas Eames guy. No, I was, I was, I was a bad boy before I met him. <laughs> ah, there you go. So you were the bad influence <laughs> Who on knows him, what then. kind of stuff they were getting up to after work, you know? We can, uh, only so, imagine yeah <laughs> it was mostly like like he's like 10 years older than me so it's mostly like us going to the bar together with all of our co-workers and, and just uh 
Nick being like the pensive guy sitting off in the corner drinking a whiskey, but super witty. Yeah. <laughs> Always had a good comment to throw. For sure. And then he would just laugh at us because we're just like young and trying to get in people's pants and getting drunk and stuff. So. <laughs> Classic bad boy of fantasy or SFF total behavior. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And he's only gotten wilder since. So. <laughs> oh, of course. Of course. All right, uh, Dylan, what's your next pick? Well, I think that leads really well into a book that's inspired by uh, the lives of Lachlan Moore and Ooh, Scott Lynch. And then that was teased and, earlier in yeah, the show for all you people paying attention at home. Yeah, Among Thieves by M.J. Kuhn. So, I mean, uh, this one, it is just so much fun. That's the number one thing that comes to mind with this book. I mean, uh, and with the author, M.J., just a wonderful person. She's been on mm. your show and she's been on our show. So uh, friend, friend of the shows and a mm-hmm. fantastic writer, uh, much like the lies of Locke Lamora. It's got this thieving crew composed of these morally gray characters and the, uh, the difference I think between, well, one of the differences between these uh, crews, uh, the one in the lies of Locke Lamora, there's, there's a lot of love uh, within the crew yeah. and uh, mm-hmm. everyone it's like a family and among thieves everyone's planning on betraying every other person oh, in yeah. the crew so <laughs> it's a fun twist uh and definitely you know it's rogues it's heists it's thieves it's like it makes sense that they're all selfish and willing to betray each other so i really appreciated mj's willingness to to lean into that you know i mm-hmm. i read this coming off of uh, I just read uh, Samantha Shannon's The Priory of the Orange Tree. And, you know, uh, to c- quote the legend uh, Ringo Starr, like peace and love, peace and love, but <laughs> was not my favorite <laughs> book. Uh, and another like Curse of Hype book, The Priory. It's of the also Orange super Tree. big. And, yeah, yeah, it's a chunk. That thing is freaking gigantic so it's like it's yeah. one of those books that you like read for a long time and then you're like i don't know how i like didn't make any progress at all but it looks like mm-hmm. i'm on the same like page i start or like i've like i like, lost pages like i'm, yeah. I'm back <laughs> to the am i reading this backwards it's like uh, so and it just you know lots of people love that book and peace and love and all that it wasn't a fit for me and yeah. It's yeah, 800 plus pages and just giant. And uh, it's what uh, Brandon Sanderson uh, would have called a chihuahua killer of a book. So <laughs> it's, yeah. he's the king of the chihuahua killers. Oh, yeah. sure. I mean, this guy's responsible for many chihuahua deaths, uh, Brandon Sanderson, <laughs> at the hands of, of his books. Um, not not all on purpose. You know, you could just fall off and your chihuahua's under yeah. it and, you know, rest in peace. But. It's yeah. uh, rest in peace and love, peace and love. So it's <laughs> it, it, anyway, it was a big difference to go from mm-hmm. the priority of the orange tree, which was long and all this world building and it just didn't feel like I was making any progress with it 
and then mm-hmm. move toward Among Thieves, which just has this like fast moving plot. It's got all this witty dialogue and funny stuff. I remember I'd be sitting in a cafe reading it as during our hiatus, actually. And I would just start laughing. And I was like, oh, no, mm-hmm. like, this is one of these books <laughs> that if I read it in public, I'm going to embarrass myself. So not as bad as when Charles is reading a book and he just vomits like <laughs> <laughs> in, a cafe. in a cafe <laughs> right right into my yeah, coffee yeah and they're like sir was your coffee okay and he's like no i'm just reading a character that the author thinks is clever but isn't and uh <laughs> this though and then and then and then the barista gives him a clever witty remark and then he vomits exactly yeah <laughs> so uh unlike the books that make charles puke this does have a just great dialogue and as is actually yeah. really funny and the characters they're charming and really memorable they they each have a very clear unique voice and it's mm-hmm. uh, to the point you know some of the best character writers uh when they do rotating point of view it's like you just feel the prose change in in between the different characters and that's something that i think mj does really well like if you look at the difference between her characters like there's there's one character i I really liked uh, named evelyn and uh, she starts as more of a do-gooder but a disgraced uh like a former captain of this law enforcement group and uh, just the way she sees the world is so different from all these like badass mm-hmm. uh, longtime thieves and rogues. And uh, it's just a totally different reading experience, just the vocabulary and the like, it's a more stilted kind of way of thinking and writing than in some of these other point of views. And I, I love when each character's idiosyncrasies show up that way. That's like Joe Abercrombie, we always think is mm-hmm. one of the masters of the point of view in that way. So yeah, it's got great LGBT representation as well. Um, it's not a romance. I know MJ always likes to, like, you know, when people say that, she doesn't want people going in thinking they're going to be no, getting no, no, the no. full romance experience. But it it does have that representation. Like I said, fans of heist, morally great characters, good dialogue, funny books, and who want to read something that isn't a is in no danger of killing their pet then this this book is a great you have a pet fly maybe i don't know (laughs) yeah Yeah. that's fair that's fair yeah you don't want to drop it in a fish tank it is big enough to probably cause Mm. issues but you know no mammals no but then you get the pages wet too (laughs) yeah yeah it's the book that that would be the real tragedy. But uh, <laughs> fans of, yeah, Six of Crows, Lies of Locke Lamora, those kind of books, and you're just going to have a great time. Like, this is one of those books that uh, I feel very confident recommending to mm-hmm. almost anyone. And it's, you know, she, she'll she give the, if you're not, like, huge into fantasy, I think she'll say, like, it's Ocean's Eleven meets Game of Thrones. And you throw that yeah. someone's way. And a lot of people are going to be interested. I think it totally lives up to it. So, and uh, Thick as Thieves, the sequel's on the way, I believe, this upcoming summer, unless there's been the change. So, uh, yeah, saw the cover recently there. Yeah. Maybe we'll be talking about her again next year. You never know. Yes. So, (laughs) and I know. 
Adrian, you probably have things to say on this one, so I'll, I'll shut Dude, up. Dude, this one, this is uh, this one is one of my honorable mentions. Okay. Um, so I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, MJ's great, uh, just in general, and then the book, like you're saying, like just such a rip roaring pace, but the kind of thing yeah. where it's like not the kind of pace that is so unforgiving where it's like you lose character development or world building or anything like that. She blends it all together so beautifully. And I love what you said about the POV because every character feels so distinct and, and, and you have multiple layers of, of, uh, you know, betrayal and double crossing and, and perhaps, a good girl gone bad. Oh, <laughs> Ooh, unlike you, Adrian, Hello. you were just born bad. <laughs> yeah, I was just born bad to bad. the bone. <laughs> yes, yeah. But uh, but I love I love the ways in which the characters all interact with each other. Great dialogue, really snappy. Um, but nothing overstays its welcome. It's like 340 pages of really tight narrative and. I can imagine for you, it's like going from a big chonker to this and just having that really like roaring pace, but having some, so much fun along the way. It's just it's such a fun book. Oh uh, uh, yeah. I loved it. Listen. Uh, exactly. It is a great change of pace at 340 pages. Mm-hmm. And I, I like what you said where she does kind of weave in the world building and the character development uh, rather than I, I just think of things like wheel of time that are like, mm. there's just things are just dedicated as chunks of the book to world building yeah. for its own sake. It feels like, and I, my favorite books, like of course the world building's there, but you're finding out about it because it's relevant to mm-hmm. the characters and the plot and what's exactly. happening at that moment. And yeah, MJ, she, she does it all without it feeling uh bloated at all of course but without it feeling mm-hmm. sparse either so it's yeah, yeah really happy medium yeah and uh my next pick is a short book not too short sub 300 dylan i know you've read this as well but uh mm. sea of tranquility by emily st john mandel this one Okay, so I grew up on Vancouver Island, and oh. this book, much of it takes place on Vancouver Island, yeah. which is why I love reading Mandel, St. Mandel's books, because it's like, you said books on Vancouver Island, and that makes me feel special. <laughs> um, it, it also helps that she's like a, you know, like New York Times bestseller, who, you Doesn't know, hurt. Station 11 Station Eleven is a fantastic book, fantastic uh, TV series as well, uh, if anyone's got HBO. Uh, but CM Tranquility was... It was such an appropriate, in terms of timing, meditation on all of the just utter shit that so many of us dealt with during the pandemic. Mm. You know, the book, it, it deals with themes of uh, loneliness and separation and just this sort of like displacement in terms of like where you feel like you are in terms of home or in terms of family and all these different kinds of things, but it interweaves it in this, this sort of like crazy, uh, time travel-y kind of narrative where there are multiple different, uh, time periods all the way back to the 1800s on Vancouver Island to uh an author and this felt very very 
uh, autobiographical, yeah. an author on tour while a pandemic is breaking <laughs> out, uh, who lives on a moon colony. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, but then an it's author like who wrote a book that. about a pandemic who's on a, exactly, much exactly. Like yeah, so, 11, uh, by yeah, so it's, it's really crazy how timely this book was. But the thing that for me was so perfect about it is much like MJ nothing outstayed its welcome. All of the pieces felt very coherent and the structure, even though it, it took me a little while to kind of get into the structure in the sense that it's like, you have these different characters in different time uh, periods in different planets or not planets, but like, uh, cosmic bodies, if you want to call it that. Um, but for me, the thing that was so poignant was the ways in which its themes were so subtle, but so powerful at the same time. And so it's dealing with all this different stuff about how these different stories interweave with each other, but the ways in which it, it evokes just immense feelings of, you know, uh, sadness or distance and that kind of thing. She just pulls it off with like a single line and it's so beautifully written. Like Emily's prose is hands down some of the most beautiful prose in science fiction and the ways in which she can just use, you know, a kind of like sideline bit of dialogue or like an observation to really just kind of punch you in the face with this like holy shit moment of this connects back to something else that was going on earlier and you know the emotion that that just rises to the surface in such a potent way it just makes everything feel more uh evocative than it otherwise would have been so i think the way that she uses language and the simplicity of language as well it's not like she's like you know, going overboard with anything, but she just uses language and really amazing concepts in terms of story structure, but also themes and places as well. You know, it's like Vancouver Island in the 1800s feels really distinct, but also the moon colony feels really distinct, but it all feels like part of the same story. And I'm just immensely impressed by how she's able to manage these different threads. And the way that it all came together was just absolutely beautiful. And so reading this kind of like, I read it in March of this year and it's like, you know, things are seeming to come back to normal, but we've all been living through the pandemic and things were a bit surreal, I felt, where there was this uncertainty about like, what is normal Mm. anymore? And this book really played with that idea of like, I have no idea what normal is. <laughs> yeah. And we're just as confused as you are. And so for me, it it just, it captured my attention. But after I finished the book, it lingered for a really long time. And even now when it's like making this list of my favorite reads of the year, I was like, yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm still thinking about. And mm-hmm. I think that for me is a really powerful sign. You did such a and good Dylan, job. This is one you recommended yeah. a few times on our show too. I know, and I was just thinking while I was listening to Adrian explain it so well. I was like, uh, "This is one I, I was struggling to get across what makes it so great 
when I we did like a top vacation reads uh, recommendation yeah. episode, and this is one I recommended. And I think part of it is the, the way that it, it captures, especially that Vancouver Island setting, and uh, when it, especially at the beginning, it's kind of like beachside and stuff like that. And I. I I was really struggling though to get across what makes it so awesome, and you did such such a great job. I wanna, uh, I wish Charles could just take that audio of you talking about it and just replace. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I want the credit too, so it can still be like, "Hey, Dylan, can you tell us about this book?" And yeah. then it's just your voice <laughs> that just like splice just, my voice. Yeah. In <laughs> and then afterward, Charles can go, oh, "Oh, thank you, Dylan. That was really well stated." Because, yeah, yeah like you're saying, it, it was extremely uh, timely. The autobiographical uh, elements of it are great. The prose, though, is I don't know how to explain. It. It's like super witty, and it winks kind of at the reader. I feel like mm-hmm. it, it almost make fun of the characters to some extent, and to yeah. the reader but in a very subtle way it's always in in the subtext and i i don't know emily st john mandel she she writes like no one else there's no there's no one i can really compare her to she tells these these stories that are simultaneously like at the scale of like world ending event style stuff right like a pandemic but then mm-hmm. she tells the most intimate, almost slice of life stories yeah. while using those huge elements, and uh, it, exactly, she, she's really phenomenal. And I, it, you sent me some of what you were thinking about before uh, we record, and I was like, oh, I'm so glad that uh, yeah. that you had that one on there. It's a fantastic book. Yeah, and um, Charles, what about you? What's your your next pick? Okay, my next pick. This is a book that came out this year, I believe. You know, um, this is another author that we've gotten to know through the Twitter sphere. Um, big fan of their work. And to me, when I think of like, because you had brought up, uh, Adrian, this, you were teasing the topic of like trends and fantasy. And I was like, oh boy, my mind was kind of spinning. And this is someone that I think is kind of on the forefront of a trend in, in, in fantasy. And so I'm happy to bring him into this. I'm talking about uh, John Gwynn. And the book that came out is The Hunger of the Gods, which is book mm. two of the Sword saga. Book one I have right here, Shadow of the Gods, came out last year. Um, and it was a Goodreads Choice Award. It was like nominee for Best Fantasy. And Honestly, it's like one of the best covers for a book I've seen in a long <laughs> so time. Oh, this yeah, cover is absolutely incredible. Like when I first saw it, I was like obsessed with it. I was like, wait, this cover is actually brilliant. It's like super bright, which fantasy books are always these like dark, like here's Locke Lamora, for example, like these dark mm-hmm. things with, with like weapons on them. And, but this is just like so bright and inviting and, and, and detailed. And but it, it captures scale. Oh, yeah, scale, the scale. Yeah. Exactly. With the dragon wrapping around the back was, here. Yeah. yeah Charles, show the little, the, I mean, just as much the little guy on there. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's absolutely right from before I even read a single word I, I was in. And then of course the brothers Gwyn, John Gwyn's sons, are very active in the fantasy community on mm-hmm. YouTube. And we've had the um, pleasure of collaborating with them on several different things. 
But one of the things we're able to do is have a hunger of dis- the gods discussion with them. And I've been trying to supplant nice. ideas for them to take back to John Gwynn, which we call Papa Gwynn. And just trying <laughs> to get Papa, just get some influence over to Papa Gwynn. We'll see if we can get there. It's been a long going thing. But the Brothers Gwynn are absolutely fantastic. And, and mm-hmm. you guys should uh, listen to them for sure. But what strikes me about this series, the Blunt Sword Saga, it, first of all, it's Norse-inspired world, and and John Gwynn is like the de facto Norse mythology guy. He just lives and breathes that world. He's part of a reenactment group, um, a Viking reenactment group, and and that really comes through in his writing. There's moments where they're forming shield walls, and a character's like fumbling with the leather strap on their helmet during a charge, and you can tell that these are things that he's definitely like lived and experienced and like what it feels yeah, like to mm-hmm. have someone crashing into your shield and the practicality of wielding a certain weapon over another and and those kind of elements weave their way into this it reminds me of miles cameron as well who's another mm-hmm. like prolific reenactor and the details that, yeah. that he gets in his stories are unique in their practicalness if that makes sense like so many times it's like and then like they have a sword fight and it's like you know you'd be lucky to use your sword once a year yeah. you're mostly using it to like roast your meal over a fire right. or something and you are to stab very... someone with it <laughs> it's an interesting juxtaposition over i'm sorry i'm gonna have to rip on wheel of time one more time uh just how <laughs> during robert jordan's fight scenes it's always like uh, you know doing some fighting move and it's called uh like the frog jumps the pond and it's like what like it's like oh he he used the frog jumps the pond on his enemy and it's like what is that but you get what is these, that exactly yeah then john gwynn and uh and miles uh, christian miles. Cameron are uh, writing these fight scenes that feel a lot and, more and, realistic and but and blow by blow but so much yeah. better mm-hmm. like Ed, Mc, Ed McDonald is another one because right. he yes. practices uh, HEMA, like historical uh, European martial arts. I didn't arts, know that, so. but I love his, um, I love uh, Raven's Mark, right? That's, yeah, uh, but that's, def- that's definitely a trend. Authors trying to capture more of their realism in their combat, like what used to be mm-hmm. so fantastical. And I think of like Lord of the Rings too. It's like, and this epic battle <laughs> happened that could be heard across the, the realm, you know? <laughs> but it's like, no, we want the gritty details, right? We want to know like, what is this person like fiddling with fumbling with what techniques are they doing like what's awkward in their hands like what what feels weird you know what do they need more experience in and and that comes through in these books quite it's like the 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 best circumstance of like write what you know exactly it's like they they really do know but it it makes for (laughs) such engaging uh kind of approach to, right. to to something like fighting which is usually like yeah blow by blow yeah. by blow but it's like a little it's thought-provoking too it's still action-packed but it's rooted in this this reenactment just also his history buff of knowing how to form a shield wall and how they how vikings would form shield walls back in the day so just like all of that coming through kind of like you know real life inspiring fiction here it it, it makes it like really pay off and in, in, in a unique way to John Gwynn's voice. Right. And mm-hmm. um, the other thing is, you know, we're, we're seeing, I, I call it almost like a classical revival in some ways in modern fantasy, right. Where it's like, Hey, we're bringing monsters back. Like we've got mm-hmm. like dragons and we've got little crustacean things, crab things like all. And like 
bear like these bear like <laughs> god creatures like we're bringing it all back crabs, uh, and and it's really well, they're, they're these books man <laughs> the end that, like don't like, go the creature this guy yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this world is not a fun one. Sex crabs and rock and roll. He's like, oh, he's, yeah, he finds hermit crabs. Sorry, but, <laughs> I'm trying to talk about what's in this book, too. And I'm not talking about hermit crabs, but um, that we're bringing creatures back and we're making it fun. And, and I, I think that kind of returned to like, I think Grimdark took over for a while. You had Game of Thrones mm-hmm. and everything that came after it was like, everyone's got to be serious and miserable and like, oh, fantasy's not as glorious as you think it is. There's all these dark costs and everyone's kind of has PTSD and and no one's all good and no one's all bad. It's like everyone just mm-hmm. kind of sucks a little bit the more you get <laughs> to know them. And it's like, that was great. <laughs> and but you read more and more and more of that and you're like, okay, well I get that everyone sucks, but can we have fun again? And like, that's kind of what this book does. It's like, there's some genuinely like main hero characters in this granted. They're not like Frodo. They, they still are fully rounded out complex human beings, but it's just kind of nice to see almost this, like, you know, these characters we're rooting for and, and, and things like that in this series as well. So huge fan. And also it's just like super epic. I would say if someone's really looking for an epic fantasy series, this is like one of those newer ones, you know, mm. books coming out like this year that I would highly recommend. Like both of the books are pretty thick. And I think Hunger of the Gods is even bigger than this one. Yeah. Um, yep. And it's a lot of skirmishes and characters battling each other and really deep dive into the Norse mythology, Norse inspiration of these characters. Mm -hmm. So if you're someone that's like really looking for that unique setting and also just loves other epic fantasy series, like this is a great compliment to some of those like tentpole epic fantasy series out there. It, it, It fits in with the mix super well. And the fact that it's come out this year, 2022, you get a lot of really interesting modern trends and characterization and just like what it means to be a fun, cutting edge fantasy book as well. So I figured, hey, it came out this year. We got to talk about it with the Gwyns, like fantastic modern epic fantasy. If any of what I've said is of any piques your interest at all, recommend checking it out for sure. Yeah, I read um, The Shadow of the Gods, mm. really enjoyed it, really great characterization mm. and very awesome uh, sort of setting. Obviously, it's like Nordic inspired, so Norway, um, Sweden, Finland kind of vibe to it, mm-hmm. um, as well as sort of like Germanic uh, roots in there as well. But the ways that, for me, the thing that really pulled me into it was this sort of this like looming threat of... I would say mythology yep. and, and, and the, the sort of resurgence of these monsters that you brought up. Mm. Cause I was like, the, there's so, so much like gritty realism to the book, but then it's like, you blend it with the world building and all this mythology. And I'm like, Oh, there's some like nasty shit. Coming. <laughs> yeah. And John Gwen has a reputation for stabbing his readers in the heart. So yep. <laughs> that is yep. also prevalent in these two. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah fantastic book oh god yeah Dylan, that, do you want to do you want to comment on it yeah that book it hunger especially uh i don't want to get into spoilers but there's definitely a, a moment uh or two that are are tough ones definitely hit you really hard in the feels and john Gwynn's not afraid he doesn't pull his punches i guess is 
mm-hmm. what I'm trying to say. But yeah, fantastic writing. His fight scenes are so freaking good. I know everyone's saying that already, but it's like they're cinematic. I just I just want someone to make movies out of these books. And mm-hmm. yeah. they, you know, we've got uh, we've got a lot of fancy content out there, but this one is one that really deserves to hit the screen, I think. So yeah, for all those listening who have huge connections in Hollywood, make it happen. <laughs> make it happen, guys. Yeah. <laughs> go go get in touch with Papa Gwyn. We actually have um, been in talks with the Gwyns of trying to sneak our way onto the film set if it ever happens. So we'll see what we can do. That was another thing we tried to weasel talks in. about uh, well, was this or no, this was this was with Christian Cameron where we we're going he was going to train us to fight each other at some point yeah, oh yeah he invited us to the amazing. adirondacks that was a while ago but with the yeah. Gwyns, we might be seeing them for wimbledon <laughs> wait are you actually thinking of going i don't know i mean if you're going i would go i'm going to wimbledon i don't know if i would go to wimbledon but i would hang out in england at least i can't tell if charles is serious yeah i can't tell if charles is serious about going but you can't meet the Gwyns without he doesn't like tennis i don't want to be left behind on the on the social oh he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't care he's not going for the tennis i'm not i wouldn't go watch a tennis match he's going to whoop my ass in a duel i'm going for the Gwyns. exactly i'm going to learn how to like throw up a shield wall with the Gwyns. yeah meet the goats uh, I can't. Yeah, I can't wait to read the Hunger of the Gods. And for anyone who's like into video games, perfect complement for this is just like the new God of War games, like God oh, of yeah. War from 2018 and God of War Ragnarok is like such a nice you sort know, of like. There's also Norse that is really well said. Like Norse mythology is on the rise. I also yeah, wouldn't yeah, sleep yeah. on The Witcher either. Like there is a lot of. Yeah. I'd say imagine The Witcher, but instead of just Geralt, there's like three or four really interesting main characters that are all living yeah. in this monster heavy world and dealing with it in their own ways. But it's that kind of same vibe of like, mm-hmm. there's this world like freaky magic stuff is going on all around us. And we're trying to make our way through it in some ways. Mm-hmm. I'd say there's way more of a, like a epic storyline in this with people at Definitely. odds with each other than the Witcher, but I got those same vibes, you know, it's kind of like gritty monster-laden world mm-hmm. so some jaded some jaded pov <laughs> god of yeah War but i'll say just grumpy man <laughs> i will say something i like about shadow and hunger of the gods is even the characters that are jaded and have been through a lot mm. i think gwyn has this willingness to be uncynical in allowing those characters to still have hope, to still care deeply mm-hmm. about uh, things, especially like family. Family is a huge mm-hmm. theme in these books yeah. and uh, unsurprising from uh, such a, a wonderful father figure to his family and uh, a guy who you can tell very much cherishes the family in his life. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, those kind of things where uh, a lot of, like Charles was saying, that kind of grim dark movement was about people not just being jaded but being jaded to the point where they just like don't value anything and have no hope Mm -hmm. and 
even when the world's really tough in in Gwyn's work, the characters they they latch on to things that are important to them. That's well said, Dylan. How rare yeah, but, is it to have like a nuclear family that all love each other and live peacefully in a fantasy world? It's like usually like parents <laughs> get them out of the way right away. Yeah, the, our, yeah. our main character cannot have parents, and if they do, they're you have to leave them behind. It's like no, this is like a family making it together. Like that's how this yeah. book kicks off, and it's very it's like, sweet. Sorry, and sorry. Sorry, yeah. Wheel of Time. Sorry, Rand. <laughs> you got to leave the two rivers, bud. It's like, oh, he has mysterious lineage and this and that. And it's like, why, why, why can't we just have a happy family? You know, like, what's, what's, what's yeah. wrong with that? Yeah, it's like good friendships, good families. Mm-hmm. Come on, people. Exactly. All right, Dylan, what's, uh, what's your pick? All right, well, let's go. You know, you picked one that was heavily influenced by your Vancouver Island roots. And I, I picked one that was heavily influenced by Charles and I's Long Island roots. I picked a book called The Chosen and the Beautiful by Nevo. Cool. And nice. uh, yeah, I don't know. If it, this one, it's a retelling of The Great Gatsby from the perspective of, of a side character. So Ch- Charles and I... You know, we go way back with the great Gatsby to our high school days. And I'm a big fan. I reread it recently. And uh, yeah, props to Scott Fitzgerald for all that. Uh, But this takes the perspective of Jordan Baker, who's Nick, like the point of view character from Mm -hmm. the great Gatsby. That's his love interest. Uh, So it does, it alters a lot of aspects of Jordan as a character while kind of keeping her personality uh, intact, but it, it changes character. Now she's queer and she's adopted and of Asian heritage. Um, and it follows the main outline kind of of The Great Gatsby as a story, but it adds this magic system that's based around being able to like create things and bring things to life uh, through the paper, like scissors and mm. folding paper and all this kind of stuff. And there's also like the ability for people to obtain demonic powers and uh, things like that. So it's like, you know, in the great Gatsby, there's all these rumors about, uh, okay, where did Gatsby's money come from? All this kind of stuff. And one mm. of the things yeah. with, uh, in the chosen and the beautiful is like oh he's made a deal with the devil and they mean that literally <laughs> <laughs> it's like a very interesting different take so uh, when you read this book and you love the great gatsby i think that's the way you're uh, maybe you're most likely to appreciate it or or possibly mm-hmm. uh at least like know what is likely to happen but also be curious about, okay, what's the twist that she's going to put on this? How is this going to be different from mm. the perspective of Jordan? And it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things where not a ton happens plot wise. I mean, that's not surprising because if you compare, we're talking about all these epic fantasy books that have all these world ending stakes. And that's a lot of what we read. And then right. you read a book that has stakes that are similar to the great Gatsby, it's like affairs and, you know, those kind of things. It's very different. So it can feel like not a lot's happening, but her prose, I mean, somehow, 
Oh, Vo finds a way. She like channels F. Scott Fitzgerald, who has such a, I, I would normally say, very unique voice. And his prose is unbelievable. And when you're reading it, it just feels like you're reading Fitzgerald. And I don't know how she does it, but uh, the sentence structure, the vocabulary, and it makes it such a pleasure to just sit and read, even when not a ton is happening there. So, it's yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a book that uh, I see it around a lot in bookstores. Like if I'm in the airport, like I've seen times where there's just stacks of it. So obviously it's getting out there in some way, but I feel like I don't mm-hmm. hear enough people talking about it and I'm not sure why. So I, I wanted to give the chance to highlight it here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, me, I've read her, um, I think I think it's just a novella called The Empress of Salt and Fortune. I've heard of that one, yeah. And it's really, really cool, kind of like a Southeast Asian-inspired fantasy, uh, but told in a very um in a very cool way, sort of like through flashbacks and stuff. Um, but the the prose is beautiful, but it's really interesting for me to kind of like put in my head like, okay, she wrote these very, very fantasy novels and she has a strong uh presence in terms of her writing style. Um, but to translate that to something like the great Gatsby and F Scott's Fitz, F Scott Fitzgerald as well. There's a new book that, uh, came out this year of hers called siren queen, mm. which is sort of like, uh, the silent era movies. Um, huh. but from the perspective of, of an Asian woman in that world, uh, getting like typecast in films mm. and stuff like that, but also that there's a magic system in this kind of similar stuff to what you're talking about with this, uh, you know, people in positions of power, you know, with, um, um, you know, making deals with, uh, <laughs> some, uh, some shady forces and things like that. So it's kind of cool that she's exploring, you know, not only fantasy worlds, but also the real world and real history sort of in this way where it's like recontextualizing for modern audiences. Definitely. And you don't get a lot, you know, we're so used to this medieval, epic fantasy stuff you don't get a lot of long island fantasy and <laughs> we need more of it fortunately yeah it's uh, it it's a it's very much a unique novel i i think that I, i'd be very curious if someone read this who hasn't read the great gatsby what they'd think of it because for me the whole lens of it was knowing what happens in gatsby and seeing exactly she's going this way and being able to appreciate the way that she's able to make it it's like her main character jordan has a voice that feels like the character jordan when she is in uh, the great Mm. gatsby um but yeah has that sort of specificity to it while also having the more general just writing style prose that Fitzgerald has. It's kind of like flowy, almost a little, I say this with love, peace and love, peace and love to F. Scott Fitzgerald, (laughs) Uh, a little pretentious (laughs) the way that he writes, but it's beautiful and he'll capture things in a way that it's like something you're aware of but you've never thought to phrase it that way or if you've never really considered it Mm -hmm. from that angle and Vo is able to do the same thing and i i think the proposition of taking a beloved classic like the great gatsby and doing your own thing with it was 
I guess, high risk, high reward and totally big. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's also kind of cool to see, like, let's have a conversation in the form of like a book conversing with a book o- yeah. over the course of like almost a hundred years, you know? Yeah. Cause I think the guy, I think Gatsby came out in like the, the mid, 20s. mid 1920s. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like a hundred year late, hundred years later, let's have this sort of like creative dialogue yeah. between past and present. Yeah. Definitely modernizes it in terms of the themes. I mean, uh, it does play a role that she's adopted and that she's of Asian heritage and she's in this kind of like high class, very white society in on mm-hmm. the North shore of long Island. And like people kind of treat her as for lack of a better word, they treat her as like a spectacle, um, like, well, she's also kind of accepted into the world in some ways. Right. She's very clearly different than everyone else who's there. And the way she gets tokenized at points, like yeah. those kind of themes, they're very modern, uh, but you're putting it in this very real feeling 1920s uh time period um yeah so it's yeah it's really interesting good pick though i like that thank you we're gonna we're gonna do some honorable mentions uh so let us know now or lose your opportunity forever but Mm -hmm. uh just uh i'm just gonna list off a few that i that i really enjoyed i'm not gonna get into any detail but i just want to give them a shout out uh i finished uh the mistborn the original mistborn trilogy with the hero of ages uh by brandon sanderson and that was just epic. Just I mean, very few do epic. a conclusion like Sanderson yeah. and the Sanderlanch, Mistborn especially. Man. I feel like the way he ties Oof. everything together, that is so satisfying. Yeah. And I read that one while on vacation in, in Italy uh, during my brief hiatus uh, during the summer. So that was really fantastic. Uh, another is, I already mentioned Among Thieves uh, by MJ Kuhn was one of mine. Uh, Stars and Bones by Gareth L. Powell. Mm-hmm. Also just really fantastic space opera. Um, and Gareth has a very, very approachable writing style. Um, and he does characterization incredibly well. Um, so I highly recommend Stars and Bones. And that's kind of like in the same ballpark as Eyes of the Void and, and uh, Shards of Earth. And then another one is, this is kind of like a two-hitter. They're both novellas, but A Psalm for the Wild Built and A, Prow- a Prayer for the Crown Shy by Becky Chambers. Oh, nice, uh, yeah. both quite, quite short books, like, you know, less than 200 pages each, uh, but really like cozy, very optimistic, uh, science fiction set in a very interesting world where there's a very strong dialogue between nature and technology, robots and humans. And I really, really love that one. Um, Charles, do you have any, any honorable mentions? Oh boy. Let's see. Um, yes, I do. For sure, wanted to do make sure we talk about Joe Abercrombie when we came back. You know, get being able to actually get to the last two books of the Age of Madness. We were it was so funny because we were given arcs of the wisdom of crowds in a preparation mm-hmm. for our interview with Joe. We, so we had read them, and that was just a cool experience being able to like have that book in my hands before the release day after. Dylan and I have been talking about the world of the first law universe for like a decade. Yeah. So to have that final book in our hands as an arc felt like a crazy moment for us, but mm-hmm. we didn't actually get to talk about it until we came back this year. Uh, and we talked about the trouble with peace and the wisdom of crowds. The trouble with peace, in my opinion, is like one of the, it's like a perfect 
fantasy novel. It's like so good. It's Abercrombie's best work for sure. And then the wisdom of crowds is like the gravy on like, you know, the, the cherry on top is, it's just like absolutely incredible how he just takes the plot structure of a trilogy and totally goes off the rails with it, but never stops being entertaining, never stops being funny. So huge, huge fan. Um, let's see, what else did we read? I'm looking at, we got to read Prince of Thorns by Mark Lawrence. You know, we had read those nice. books a long time ago and to come back and revisit them is like super fascinating. I forgot how dark and intense those books were. Like I always knew yeah. that they were, <laughs> But then after yeah. reading a bunch of fantasy books in a row and going back to that one, I was like, wow, Mark Lawrence was uh, not pulling any punches on that one. <laughs> um, so we read Piranesi by Susanna Clark, which was an nice. awesome short story. Um, I'll leave a couple for Dylan to suggest here. But um, we also read, uh, for the first time, we were reading the Stormlight Archives. We're about three books into that. I don't think that really cool. needs much of a recommendation other than it's my first time reading it. Yeah. So I'm super excited to get into it. It's a huge One of those up-and-coming my... authors, small <laughs> series, you know, he did yeah. this Kickstarter. He only made millions. Like a $5,000 Kickstarter. It's like, <laughs> so, you know, we just wanted to give him a little pop. Yeah, let's give him a little yeah. bit of a shout out, you know, try and boost him yeah. a little bit there. But super happy yeah. to be What's reading his name? those like now. like sandon branderson or something brando That's sando that. something like that yeah um, no adrian so. It. <laughs> it so uh yeah 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 it's been a it's been a really like we've been reading a lot of classics and a lot of new stuff we've been kind of going back and forth on our reading nice. schedule and um we've read a lot of really good stuff this year and, and uh, it's just been it's been a really good time to be in the world of of sff uh, fiction out there and um yeah so those mm -hmm. those are just some of mine i know dylan will kind of pick up where i left off here in our reading yeah yeah go for it buddy and most of what charles just mentioned would probably be on mine as well but um definitely i mean shout out to joe abercrombie i feel bad if i don't say anything by his but i i really want to say jade city by fonda lee uh, that was our first time reading Fonda Lee's work and we she's were, so good man she is incredible and another one of those that is a breath of fresh air with this mm -hmm. uh, Asian inspired setting more of an urban fantasy following the beats of this mafia style film and uh, Fonda Lee is is another author like John Gwynn that doesn't pull any punches uh, and she'll hit you in the feels pretty hard he's interesting Dude, uh, yeah. Wait till you guys read books two and three. That's what everyone Lock, says. Lockland, Lockland's <laughs> made me cry this year. Fonda, you fucking broke my heart last year. Yeah, friend, she's yeah, uh, she's been on the show own, a bunch of times, yeah. uh, and she is just wonderful. She's like the nicest person, but then I'm like, you're ruthless on the page. Like, <laughs> Funny. Yeah, it's funny how that works sometimes. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's what everyone says about this book. It's funny you say it too. It's it's like whenever we bring this up on social media in any way, they're like, oh, like you have to read the whole series. Like, read it now, read it now. And, you know, Charles is like, <laughs> has his uh, face yeah. in. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> Charles is just trying to keep. He's trying to read Oathbringer while not 
like dropping it on his poor puppy. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, where you know, we'll get we'll get to reading the rest for sure. But mm-hmm. I I do hear the rest of the series is incredible, and we're we're super excited. Um, let's also say Project Hail Mary. And that's another nice. one. By Andy yeah, real up and comer. You probably haven't heard of him. He had this other book called The Martian. Uh, the Venetian small, or something. Very, like that. Yeah, yeah, it's a very. They made this very small uh, uh, indie film out of it. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I mean, like relatively and, obscure yeah, actor yeah, Matt, Matt Damon. Damon. Yeah, <laughs> I hadn't heard of him before, but he puts in a great performance. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, no, obviously Andy Weir is huge and he doesn't need me to give me more pop, but I'm going to anyway because it's an incredible book. And that's one that I recommend mm-hmm. the audiobook for. And I can't say why without Ooh. spoiling. But yeah, that's, yeah, I feel strongly about the audiobook on that one. And I also want to say the first 15 lives of Harry August was one that was a little outside my, have you, have yeah, you read that by one? Claire North? Yeah. Claire North. Yeah. Yeah. Claire, Claire's awesome. Yeah. 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 No, that was, uh, that was a really interesting new take on one of those time travel books. And it's the mm-hmm. way I, it felt very true to how, if someone was, able to just relive their life over and over and over again just the way that warps their perspective on like yeah. the value of human life and those kind of things it felt very true it's actually something uh i think joe i don't know if this is when he was talking to us or at some other point but uh, joe talked about how like a wizard like Gandalf that's just like watching generations and generations by yeah. joe's like i don't feel like you would have like you would be so loving of everyone if that were <laughs> so yeah i think just warp, warp your sanity oh totally right it's like <laughs> it, so in that one when you die you just basically wake up back at the beginning of your life uh, over again and you mm-hmm. get to kind of like replay it and it's like new game plus kind of yeah <laughs> you exactly game ends the knowledge that you had from the previous <laughs> lives and it's like you know if someone dies you're like oh well i'll, I'll catch him next time around <laughs> it's like <laughs> but obviously for the people who aren't like that that's their one and only chance it's their only life so it's yeah great character writing and uh, just a totally different uh, use of that trope that i hadn't really encountered in that way before so oh one more i'll just say the first binding by rr verdi which is an Ooh, interesting one nice. that's another new one and that's why i'm highlighting it it's it's interesting for the king killer chronicle fans out there it is uh it's probably more similar to the king killer chronicle than the chosen and the beautiful is to the great gatsby and that mm. one's an actual retail <laughs> 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 I couldn't help myself but no it's it is a lot like the king killer chronicle and there's a lot of positives to say about that it means that there's mm-hmm. great prose uh, there's also really interesting main character who's telling his story and uh, has accomplished all these epic decents and i am highlighting it as an honorable mention because it, it's really good it's mm-hmm. 
it is the kind of thing though where it's so similar to King Killer Chronicle. It kind of started to take me out of the story a little bit at times. So I, if you're a big, but Chronicle, it's, yeah, it's been it's been long enough though since I've read the the Name of the Wind that I'm like I don't really think it would be that because I haven't read it yet. But Ronnie is awesome. I've interacted with him on Twitter and he's fantastic. Uh, but it's like it's been so long that I feel like. <laughs> but i feel like i feel like it could be uh kind of like a really awesome like love letter combined with something really fresh and unique to him yeah i mean he's he's acknowledged it that there's uh a lot of inspiration from the king code chronicle and he uh, he has a very clear I guess, Easter egg sort of thing that's referencing the King Mm -hmm. Killer Chronicle. So it it doesn't feel like he's unaware of those kind of things. So it's, I I think it's a great recommendation for fans of the King Killer Chronicle and the name of the wind, especially, Uh, but you have to be willing to acknowledge that it's going to have some similarities. And if that's going to annoy you, then that's not Mm -hmm. the best book for you. But I mean, hopefully this one actually gets done in a reasonable amount of time. You know, we, we want Rothfuss yeah. to take all the time he needs, but <laughs> those of us that are huge King Killer fans are, are chomping at the bit over here. So this can fill yeah. that King Killer sized hole in your heart. Oh, <laughs> that's a nice note <laughs> to, to wind things down on. Uh, just to finish off, I wanted to know what's on your, uh, what's immediately next on your TBRs. I'll share mine. Uh, so we've got TBR con coming up in, late January. We'll be doing a bunch of announcements in January, uh, December and January. Um, but I am going to do a few panels for TBRCon, And one of those is going to be on space opera. And I've been meaning to get to this forever, but empire of silence by Christopher Rocchio. Mm. I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce his name. Rocchio or Rocchio. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, it's part of, (laughs) it's part of a series called sun eater. Um, but I'm really excited because people have been recommending it to me as this combination of like Dune, Mm -hmm. like a modern Dune, but like mixed with really big elements of like epic fantasy. So I'm super into that and I'm really excited to, to read that, uh, before TBR con, but, um, Charles, what about you? What's, uh, what's coming up on your TBR? Great question. Well, we recently, you know, shared on social media that we were um, given these beautiful copies of the kingdom of liars by Nick Martell. So depending on when this episode airs, we may or may not have um, dived into this bad boy already. So super excited to, to get more into this. And speaking of long Island, the author, Nick Martell is a fellow Huntington boy, just like us. So very excited. I don't think he's not from Huntington. I thought he was North shore. I think he is North shore. Are you sure? Look it up, but. And Nick, Huntington, New York. Too. He moved Wait, to really? Huntington, New York. Yes, sweet. Think I'm crazy? Oh, yeah. Right I, no, I, I thought I, I just thought I'd remember it. If it was read, I mean, unless he's lying in his bio. Read the author which, bio, man. You know, that'd be an it's odd kingdom line. of liars. You're going to just believe <laughs> everything in there? <laughs> <laughs> so very excited about that one. Um, nice. Let's see. Dylan, what else do we have coming up? Um, we're, we're reading through Stormlight Archives, so yeah, super so. excited to kind of catch up on that. Um, mm-hmm. We're on Oathbringer right now. Yes. Uh, well, that's the one we're like, then you got rhythm that means of war. Rhythm of War. Rhythm we'll of War on the horizon. Before too long. 
Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. We're going to do a friend's pitching fantasy very soon. Uh, so we're going to have to come up with a couple different ideas. There's yeah. so many that I want to like revisit and some I want to read for the first time. Some kind of mm-hmm. have a bunch of books swirling around in my head, but, uh, those are the ones that we've got coming up real soon that I'm excited about. Nice. Dylan, what about you? Yeah, those also, because Charles and I, our TPRs end up relatively similar <laughs> because of the show. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I have a few others in the mix. Uh, there's one that I just picked up kind of on a whim in a bookstore that I'm, I'm probably going to read soon called Lost in Time by A.G. Riddle. And mm, I, I've heard of it. Yeah. yeah. I basically just saw the cover. The cover is really cool. It's like got all these sort of pinks and purples to it. And it's person the silhouette of a person falling. And I, you know, it's one of those where you grab it because the cover looks cool and then you start mm-hmm. going on Goodreads or whatever and looking it up because, you know, God forbid you actually just d- grab a book and buy it. Uh, me, I have to know all the ratings and stuff. And then <laughs> it's it's actually nominated for those Goodreads choice for sci-fi. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. wow, that's awesome. And it's got a 4.31. I'm like, wow, this is exciting. So it's a standalone novel that is uh, basically about like they'll send people back in time when they're found guilty of a crime. And they're sending Ooh. this guy who's falsely accused of murder back 200 million years into the past. And, uh, yeah, there's like he's basically there with like dinosaurs and crap. Stuff. Like, this is a really <laughs> cool idea. So that one's coming up. I, I mean, I definitely once the summer hits and Thick as Thieves comes out, that's in the mix. I want to keep highly going with Battle yeah, Drum, another highly anticipated Battle Drum, release. of course. I want to keep going with uh, uh, the Greenbone Legacy. So those oh, yeah. are going to be coming up soon. And, uh, yeah, I, I assume by the time this airs, uh, we'll have a release date for the doors of stone. So that as well. Yeah. In like <laughs> right? the next two weeks. Next yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Three of the King Killer Chronicle. A, Chris, a Christmas miracle. <laughs> yes. So, uh, yeah. So fingers crossed on that release date. Um, if I, yeah, that's, that's what's coming it's a bold that's a bold claim buddy but we'll see <laughs> just go read, on that one. go read the first binding yeah <laughs> yeah i'm gonna read the, the first binding again <laughs> just, yeah. the second the second binding will be out before the doors are started, <laughs> is it gonna be called the second binding i don't think so i don't know <laughs> that's that's amazing oh, Awesome. Well, Dylan and Charles, thank you guys so much for indulging in your favorite reads of the year with me. Uh, can you let viewers and listeners know where they can find you on social media and where they can listen to Friends Talking Fantasy? Absolutely. Um, do you know, Adrian, approximately when this episode's going to air? This will be out in December 13th, I believe. That's very specific. Oh, that's Great. plenty thank of time you. for the doors of stone. <laughs> days eleven, 11 days, days rob this bring it yeah. <laughs> plenty of time you know considering all the time that we've had up to this point but yeah so we're for the friends talking fantasy podcast you can find us pretty much wherever you listen to podcasts all the major ones anyway um we're 
on Instagram at the FTF podcast and Twitter at the FTF podcast with the number one at the end. Couldn't get that regular one, but you know, we're trying, um, you know, by the time this airs, we've got some exciting stuff coming up. I will tease that before the end of the year, we're going to hit our 200th episode and you guys are Mm. not going to want to miss what we've got planned for that. And you know, it's the other bunch of fun end of the year stuff, but that's where you can find us. Right. Dylan. That is exactly where you can find us. Yeah, wherever you listen all, to podcasts. all tweets by Dylan Marsh. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Dylan's doing some great work over there. If you, yeah, any you don't like was actually Charles. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and all the good ones. And now, me. and now that Charles has read Lies of Locke Lamora, you can just give Dylan shit about reading the rest of the Greenbone Saga or both. Well, of them, he. The problem is he. <laughs> I hasn't read read that one I did give him you know crap what? about can... not reading the half of the Hobbit, but he immediately then Shame. read it. <laughs> Yeah. you see that's the thing you can just read books when people recommend them to you so yeah uh yeah that was the hobbit that's a short one too that was one you read this yeah. year that true didn't make your list it though. didn't make no it did not make my list damn and i'm sorry to all those big heads out there whatever you got rings of power that little crap yeah, you, you talking heads are just fine <laughs> But a bad boy. Oh my goodness. Wow, yeah. The bad yeah. boy takes a shot at Rings of Power. I mean, it's the honorable show, mention House of the Dragon, though. Oh, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. I love, I, I enjoyed House of the Dragon and I got to review it uh, with uh, Miltos Yorolomu and MJ Kuhn and ah. uh, Liam Quinn. Uh, Miltos was uh, Serial Pharrell on Game of Thrones. So that was really cool to, to hang out with him. So, Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like random coincidence that we managed to like. Get in touch. What with did he say to the God of Death? <laughs> Listen to find out. <laughs> We're not going to tell you today. No. Go listen to our TV called of the Dragon. Listen to that. I can't believe I missed that. I got to go check that out. That's amazing. I'll, I'll send the link to you guys, oh, and, I'll, yeah. and I'll link to it. Uh, yeah, 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 definitely. The, uh, drop that link, man. Anyone that's cereal, it, is cereal alive? <laughs> did you ask? Ask ask uh, ask George R. R. Martin's wife. Oh, she knows. Oh, I'm not really in touch with her. <laughs> Is she on Instagram? Like what? Yeah. You can slide into his no. DMs. <laughs> just like you know, we're just hanging out. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, leave that to the bad All boy right. of the SFF community. Yeah, man. Good boys don't get shit. Yeah. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, it was an absolute pleasure hanging yes. out with you. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for, for taking the time and, and uh, chatting books with me. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks so much, so much for having us. have it thanks for listening i hope you enjoyed our panel on our favorite reads of 2022 thank you again to our guests this episode dylan and charles if you like this episode please subscribe rate and review us on your favorite podcast app and share us with your friends it helps a lot and we greatly appreciate it as well don't forget to subscribe to the fan youtube channel where this and every other episode of the show is available in full video sff addicts is part of fanfiatic.com so make sure to check us out there for the latest in book reviews, essays, and all things sci-fi and fantasy. 
as well as the full episode archive for the podcast. All music comes courtesy of the talented Astronauts. Check them out on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash S-T-R-O-N-O-Z. All links for the episode are also available in the show notes. Now, keep reading, keep imagining, and we'll see you next time on SFF Addicts. <laughs>